0: and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and if this podcast existed in a post-apocalyptic universe, you might call it the Traveling Podcast-phony. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. No, you wouldn't.
1: You know, after society falls, I'm going to be preaching the gospel of diesel, living life a quarter mile at a time. Somebody has to remember this. Humanity has to remember this. (laughs) And Jeff (laughs) Kanata.
2: Some people say that this podcast existed before me, but I say there is no before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to the show. Boy guys, you know, I don't think I've ever heard th- the dead silence quite that accompanied my opening <laughs> no. there. Uh, I do like to hold it as yeah. for, as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, for sure, for sure. Don't yeah. give me any validation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um but those are of course all a reference to the fact that today on the Filmcast we're going to be reviewing Station 11 which just wrapped up it's season, uh, season run on HBO Max. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. It's a weird time, folks. It's a weird time. Uh, that's why we're reviewing Station 11 this week. Uh, I, just, I should also point out, there's not that much coming out in theaters right now. Scream came out last week, but right now there's not that many releases that uh, we feel are worth going into theaters for. Uh, we do hope to review Scream 5. Sometime in the next month or two probably when it hits video on demand so i, I do want people to look forward to that but yeah uh, for now uh we're finding stuff that we can look at on video on demand and that we think will make for an interesting conversation we hope you'll join us for it station 11 this week and uh we have an interesting choice for next week as well stay tuned for what that's going to be but before we get to any of those things including what we've been watching i do want to ask jeff canada you're back baby
2: Yes. Thanks guys for, uh, for understanding last week when I, 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 I really wanted to be here for specifically for tragedy of, of Macbeth because, uh, I'm such a, such a Shakespeare nerd and, and I really enjoy talking about it with you guys and, um, was sad to not be able to make the show last week, but, uh, I appreciate you understanding. It was quite the week for me. It was quite the week. Um, I got the, uh, I got the global athlete's foot that we've all been trying to avoid.
3: Well, the global I mean, principal. Yes.
0: Yeah. I I vividly remember when we reviewed Justin Kurtzel's 2014 uh, version of Macbeth, you know, and how yes. disappointed we And actually after we watched Tragedy of Macbeth the Coen brother uh, or the Cohen brother movie, um mm-hmm. I went back to rewatch that Justin Kurzel movie and I was like, "No, Jeff and I were right about this one." Like uh <laughs> they, they they basically it's still, uh, like, it's still yeah. Whisper talking all the lines of it. The, you know, Oh, hell, Macbeth, saint of God, or you know, and it's like, yeah, uh, I really, really need you to speak that out loud, and, and even, <laughs> even the tragedy of Macbeth, uh, is, is very casual, but, but still much better than the Kurtzel one in terms of how it treats the language of Shakespeare, yeah. Um, but anyway, Jeff, I think a lot of people want to know how you're doing and what your experience was, and to the extent yes. that you feel comfortable, like, what, what happened, Jeff?
2: Well, uh. As I think I predicted on this very show, <laughs> uh,
0: you you predicted like literally on the the film cast after dark, the uh, like days before you actually contracted COVID, you said I'm going to be the first person on the podcast to get it.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it it seemed inevitable because every school, single man. day, yeah, what schools, yeah, every single mm-hmm. day we were getting notifications from my son's school that you know, two staff members have it, have tested positive. Uh, A a student has tested positive. Two students have tested positive. I mean, literally every single day there were emails uh, like that. So it just felt that despite the fact that, you know, Jack was going to school with uh, double masks, we were double masking him. I was one of the only parents that was masked at pickup and drop off. Uh, We were being very, militant about it honestly being very uh hyper uh hyper diligent um it just felt like it was gonna be one of those things that we weren't gonna to be able to avoid you know the the kids my my son actually is is really great about keeping his mask on at school he's one of the only kids that at the end of the day I see still wearing his masks both of his masks and I'm very proud of him for that but I also know they eat lunch together and when they eat lunch all the kids take their masks off to eat so it's it just seems like and exercise and futility in a lot of ways and and so it was uh because um last uh, a week ago today I think I think all the time time a flat circle but um I woke up feeling pretty crummy we took a home test it was negative I've since learned home tests are utterly useless um <laughs> Went and got a rapid PCR test for... L-
0: let's just speak... Just clarify that they are not 100% accurate.
2: Yeah. Way, I mean, yeah. literally every person in my family tested positive over the last week and not a single time did a home test mm. register a positive result.
0: Got it. So they tested positive from a PCR test, not a rapid antigen test. Correct. Basically.
2: Yeah. So I went and got a rapid PCR test for $350 and uh, uh, was uh, got a, was positive. Um, and I was... I knew, you know, I woke up that day and I was like, this is not good. It, it, it was, it felt very different than any, you know, the past two years. Of course, any kind of weird feeling you wake up with, at least I have always been like, oh my God, if I got it, do I have it? And, you know, I've taken numerous tests over the two years, but this time it certainly felt like, wow, this is really significantly a different feeling that I'm experiencing. And, um, yeah, it was like about three to four days of really intense fatigue. That was that was the big takeaway for me is it, it felt like a cold. I had a cough, I had a runny nose, a stuffy head, a little bit of a headache. Really, the headache wasn't too bad. Um, I, I didn't feel significantly different than a cold in the before times, except for the layer that I'd never really experienced before of just intense fatigue mm-hmm. and uh i i've been relating it to the time in my early 20s when i got mono um, mm-hmm. because that's the only other time that i I think i felt anything like it where it just you can't do anything you're in a, in a fog like everything is hard everything is is difficult um so yeah I, I was like that and i really wanted to be on the show and and thought i could maybe power through and and be on the show but it was just like everything was so effortful and i, I couldn't muster any energy so that's why I uh, bowed out of the episode and you guys were so gracious about it thank you i appreciate that
0: yeah and a huge thanks to caroline ceda who uh filled in for you and yes. did, a, did an amazing job she's so she's awesome
2: and i i was very sad to miss uh, chatting with her again i really enjoyed the, the time that i was on with her but um
0: so how many days were you out jeff
2: it was it was about four total days of being like really uh useless and then you know a couple more of of kind of not feeling 100% but but feeling like i could turn the i had turned the corner um and today i feel back to my normal self i'm you know i'm uh i don't really feel any li- lingering effects i mean a little i'm a little mucusy perhaps but uh other than that i uh you know i, I got through it um shortly thereafter you know my whole family uh, i was you know instantly that day that i got the test i was uh, isolating and that was brutal for my wife because yeah. you know she has to work we couldn't have child care come to the house like we usually do. And so she had to take care of the kids without my help at all. I mean, that honestly, that was the worst part uh, by far. Like the fatigue was mm-hmm. was hard, but the worst part was the guilt. You know, you just feel like, oh my God, I just dumped all the responsibilities onto my wife who should be working right now. And, um, you know, it, it was just, it just felt awful. But they, we tested all of them with home tests, all of them were negative. Uh, And then they all went and got PCR test and um, all were positive. So all three of my, my family were positive, which was a, a bit of a blessing in disguise insofar as I no longer had to isolate from them, Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, which was at least, you know, silver lining, but um, you know, the big worry was my daughter uh, and for the, it's, it's very strange. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand the timeline clearly we got it from my son uh bringing it home from school i think that is very clear uh but nobody no, the three of them none of them had any uh symptoms until i was basically recovering mm. and then like the night that i kind of felt better i felt i had turned the corner my daughter started getting a runny nose and a cough and a fever which i didn't i never had a fever uh which is really scary cuz my daughter is too young to have been vaccinated my son has two vaccinations I had three vaccinations. My wife had three vaccinations. But my daughter's too young to be vaccinated and is immunocompromised. Uh, she has a genetic condition. So we had been hyper worried about her getting it, not knowing how her system was going to handle it. Uh, and so the night that she had a fever, I slept on her floor. Like I was really worried she was gonna stop breathing. I didn't know what was gonna happen. She was she had a really rough night. Um, so that was kind of the worst of it. But the day after that, she bounced back pretty well. And thankfully it um we, we seem to have gotten through it, um, fairly unscathed. I think uh, of all the possible scenarios, I think this is probably the, the best that we could have hoped for, for getting it, mm-hmm. which, you know, is kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because you're grateful and you're happy that you got through it. Um, but I, I think the, you know, one of the worst aspects of this whole thing is this this feeling of, it's almost like getting an STD. You, know, you just feel like, oh, oh I, I did something wrong. I, I'm a bad person. There's a,
0: there's a moral attachment to it, even though yeah. I don't believe yeah. there should be, right? Like, right. you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything that you could, and but uh, there should be no moral judgment on anyone who gets it, right? Um yeah. at, at least at least those who are being careful, right? Or, or those right. who well, can't help. Well, that's the question: is yeah. like,
2: well, how? Well, were you being careful, Jeff? Obviously, you weren't, because you obviously the you, you got it, so you weren't as careful as you should have been, um, and all, you know, all of the missed Christmases, this last Christmas we canceled on my family because we didn't want my daughter to get it. And then she does get it and she's okay. And it's like, well, you're grateful, but then you feel foolish and you feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. There's all these mixed up emotions of feeling like, oh, all the people that
0: I've been, you know. Not, not seeing or judging or whatever.
2: Yes, or the people that, you know, that have been telling me the whole time, you're gonna be fine, you know. It, it's, you're you're worrying too much. You're like, you like, you kind of, Give them some sort of uh, validation, tacit mm-hmm. validation, because now they were they it proved correct, and you're grateful, but you also it's just all of it is so messed be, up. Being and-
1: safe should never be the thing you should apologize for at this point, right? It's like we yeah. don't we don't know. Some people are getting sick. My parents got it over the last uh, week as well, and that was fun. But they they were lucky to not have too many symptoms. But they're triple vax. There's so much going on, and there's so little yeah. we know you know, depending on like, okay, how, how long ago were you boosted? You know, how effective is your boosting? Like, there's so many factors you yeah. can't yeah. really judge. And I should, you, I should put,
0: uh, you know, I said like, if you're careful, but you know, there's people who, uh, many people, most people probably can't be careful because yeah. um, of their jobs, because of their kids going to school, you know? So, so like, I do want to clarify, like, I'm not like, you know, if you weren't careful, then you deserve it. You know, I don't, I don't feel that way. Like, I think that they're, um, yeah. everyone has a set of circumstances they need to deal with uh, all the trade-offs they need to make. And I think in general, we should try not to judge people. I think right. also though, you know, there's obviously people who, um, have been reckless and, you know, there, there are people who, uh, who potentially deserve our anger. And I think the problem is that like, it's, um, that line is getting blurrier every day, you know? Yeah. Um, well, all but- these
2: sacrifices that my family made over the last two years, just feel it feels to a certain extent in vain. I know that's not true, right? Because we we held out and waited <laughs> waited, but we managed to hold out for a weaker strain of this thing, which is good. We we were, you know, three fourths of us were vaccinated, which I think really helps. I can't imagine going through what I went through unvaccinated with how hard it hit me as mm-hmm. a thrice vaccinated person. But right. you know, it, it, it's just all mixed up in so many. It does feel a bit like a scarlet letter. You know, it feels like this. You know, this thing that I've been trying to avoid for so long, and then it's there, and you go... You just feel defeated, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. But looking on the bright side, Jeff, Yeah, you got over it. You're back on the film cast, which is the place where everyone wants to be, right? Um, This
2: is true, yeah.
0: Without any exception.
2: Yeah, Um, I got back in here just before you guys replaced me, which is good.
0: (laughs) I know, it was (laughs) right under the wire, right under the wire. Um, But also... I am curious, like now that you, you know, I, I do not want to jinx you because you know who knows what's going to happen in the future. But like, do you feel some kind of, uh, I guess satisfaction that you you are back to normal today, and you know, certainly, that, that yeah, no, I'm feel glad like that for it, now it's over, right? You
2: know, you know I, I'm I'm very grateful that I never lost my taste or, or smell, you know, that was something mm-hmm. I was really worried about because um, I love tasting and smelling things.
0: <laughs> um, well, that makes uh, one of us. But, yeah. <laughs>
2: and uh, uh, I'm very grateful that it, it, you know, I read these stories about long COVID, you know, and, and yep. these yeah. people who are in that sort of fatigue and fog that I experienced for months instead of days, I, uh, I can't imagine that. I, I, I'm very grateful that that doesn't seem to have there doesn't seem to be any lingering uh, effects for me, at least at the moment. Um, so I, I am certainly counting my blessings on this one because uh, it could, like I said, it it's the best of all worst mm-hmm. worlds. You know, it's it, I'm I'm grateful for it. I I, I clearly you know this isn't. It's weird how some people treat it like chicken pox or something, where it's like, well, no, I've had it. I, I, I'm, it's like, well, yeah, you can, uh, you can get it again. Not
1: everything they, works that way, guys. Yeah. Like, it's it's not, yeah. Are you going go to go to some
0: uh, underground singing parties now, Jeff? Well, windowless you know, I, room, in windowless rooms?
2: You know how I love the underground singing parties, Dave. I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm
0: hooked. Uh, I mean, is it does it in any way change kind of like your risk profile at all, or are you kind of still... I so mean in the short
2: term on. I think I do breathe a sigh of relief because right. my kids weathered it and didn't yeah. really yeah. have much of a problem. I think that the 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 reason for so much concern over the last 2 years is cuz we just didn't know how my daughter would handle it. Yeah. Her yeah. system just does, mm-hmm. doesn't work like other people's. Right. And it was a real fear. and everybody kept saying, "Well, kids are, are going to be fine." It's like, "Yeah, until they're not," right? It's it was the the big question mark. And you don't ever. I would have preferred never to have known, but now that I do know, at least I, I feel a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. relief that it seems like her system handled the virus um, in, in the way it was supposed to. So
1: that's great to hear. It, it is weird, like in the in this this time of like an information vacuum, we all a lot of people just like latch onto these little bits of information. You know, like our kids will be yeah. fine. It's right. fine for kids, except for all the kids being hospitalized and the kids right. who. Have died from this, so it is we. We can't say one thing fits everybody. Yeah. I'm very glad. I, I don't you begrudge guys anyone do well. fearing. Yeah.
0: I don't begrudge anyone fearing the unknown right now because yeah. uh, there's a lot that's unknown right now. So, um, yeah. but yeah, welcome back, Jeff. Here's my big. Here's the big question, though: Is what part of the film cast did you miss the most
2: while you were out? You know, I think the dead air after you say something <laughs> is really the the part that i love the most
1: you just really got to set it up and uh, everybody decides to not address yeah. yeah no i mean fair
0: yeah it's fair, yeah. It's, fair. Yeah. it's fair all right well welcome back jeff we are excited to talk more with you about what you've been watching and also um uh, hear what your thoughts were on tragedy macbeth which i'm so I mean, about, so. you just you can't get rid of me that easy guys i know it, it's, it's going to
2: take more than a global pandemic <laughs> <It's gonna
0: laughs> to stop
2: me from talking about this global pandemic show you know hey i got to tell you about our sponsor missouri a jury makes fine jewelry for every day fairly priced handcrafted responsibly sourced and made to last jewelry jewelry minus the traditional markups everything from 14 karat solid gold staples light as air hoops to barely their chains so you can layer to your heart's content plus they have sterling silver pearls diamonds, Even wedding bands designed for everyone. And I got news for you folks. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And when you say no gifts, no gifts never means no gifts. Pick up what she's been putting down and shop your heart out with Missouri's curated Valentine's Day guides. There's something for everyone, including you, lovers, family, friends, and the date you accidentally planned for February 14th. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying it with flowers, try monogramming it. Make it personal when you get a free engraving or monogramming on everything from necklaces, signet rings, and leather goods. They've made shopping for the perfect gift easier than ever. You choose the gift, and they'll take care of the rest with 60-day returns, a two-year warranty, and gift wrapping included. And if you're stumped for ideas, find your match when you book a complimentary shopping appointment to video chat with a Missouri stylist and get expert gifting advice. Nothing says I love you like well-timed, timeless, fine jewelry. Visit Missouri.com slash Filmcast for 10% off your first order. That's Missouri.com slash Filmcast for 10% off your first order. M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T.
0: All right, before we move on, I do want to call out that uh, we are actually doing a bunch of HBO Max today for our After Dark episode, which is available exclusive to, exclusively to patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast. We're going to be reviewing Search Party Season 5, a show that we've covered pretty extensively here on the podcast. It just debuted its final season. Uh, a lot to chew on, a lot to digest. We, we, I think this podcast has been major advocates for that show. I, I mm-hmm. think that literally this podcast... Like the three people on it comprise a significant portion of Search Party's viewership, right? So true. uh, So yes, uh, thanks to those who have joined us for that journey. And it it has come to a conclusion with Search Party Season 5. If you want to hear our spoiler-filled thoughts on that movie, uh, I'm sorry, on that that show and the conclusion, uh, be sure to tune into our After Dark available exclusively at patreon.com slash film podcast for those who sign up for the exclusive After Darks. Uh, all right, let's get to what we've been watching. And there is a lot of stuff that Devendra and I have been watching because we've both been attending Sundance 2022 virtually. Virtually, now, baby. Yeah. Sundance 2022 was supposed to happen in person. They had actually. It was
1: going to be in person and virtual, but
0: now yeah, it's yeah, just virtual. In person virtual. and virtual. And it was going you know, it was like. I remember when they announced it, it's like, wow, like things are really finally returning back to normal. You know, Sundance is back, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's going to be great. I, I love Sundance. Uh, I'm going to miss the the at-home, you know, virtual screenings, but it's cool that, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's cool that, you know, this thing that has done so much to define film culture is making a return. Then, of course, Omicron hits, and they drastically scaled back their plans. So there's no in-person event. Um,
1: there People are satellite can, screenings in some, in right. like some towns, including Amherst, Massachusetts. Mm. The Amherst Cinema, for some nice. reason, is one of these satellite spots. So, nice. if you can get of in a
0: satellite screening, old yeah. stomping grounds. And yeah. I do want to point out that by the, but so anyway, they scaled it back and they're doing completely virtual with some satellite screenings. Uh, as you're listening to this right now it is still possible to purchase tickets for Sundance screenings. So mm-hmm. just because we say it like it's a Sundance screening, like if you go to Sundance.org, it's possible to buy tickets to some of these screenings. So I just yeah. want to point that out. And you can watch um, it on your Apple TV. So, yeah. Or, yeah. you can watch it yeah, on, a, airplane or on a TV whatever. app. So mm-hmm. it, it's actually, I, I watched, you know, I watched three movies, Devinder watched five and I thought the screening experience was very good. Like mm-hmm. it, it felt like very high quality, uh, good sound, good audio, good uh, video, good audio. Um, so it's a good experience, and it just is like, it's cool. It's like you know, I feel very badly for all the people who like wanted to debut their movie in person at Sundance. It's such a potentially life changing thing to get that opportunity, and for many people, they didn't, they they got might have gotten in, and then the festival scaled back, and then they're like, okay, I don't want to. Debut the film there anymore. And in fact, most of the films that I saw, or many of them, already had distribution deals, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've only but, heard of one that pulled, and that was One Cut of the Dead, didn't want to. Yeah, the, the One the Cut, Cut of the Dead. The French yeah. remake of One Cut of the Dead pulled. It was supposed to be the yeah. final film, I think, of the festival, mm-hmm. and they pulled out. Um, but yeah, I think. I think, uh, What other a cool film...
2: movie to remake.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a cool movie to remake. I love that.
0: Yeah. So I, I do feel for all the filmmakers who kind of had their hopes dashed, but. It's just as a viewer, it's just so cool to be able to do a film festival virtually. Yeah. You know, like you, I feel like much of the excitement of watching a film festival without the pain in the butt of needing to trek out into the snow or the rain or whatever, um, and you're watching uh, movies that most people on the planet have never seen before. And it's uh, and you have no idea what it's going to be. Is it going to be good? You're one of the first people mm-hmm. on the planet mm-hmm. to ever see it. You, you can't just Google and find reviews. Yeah, you can't just Google you, and find you, reviews. You can, There's yeah. no Rotten Tomatoes score for any of this, right? And mm-hmm. so it's exciting. It's exciting to do this. Um, so Devinger and I both watched uh, a few films. And so we're just going to run down these movies. You know, Sundance is a is time of year when you start hearing about the movies that you're going to hear about for the rest of the year, right? And so the question is, you know, the, uh, the question underlying this conversation, Devindra, is Are any of these movies the movies that we're going to hear about? the, for the Oh, rest boy. yeah. I think there are a couple. I think there yeah. are a couple. Um, so, Devindra, I'm going to have you go first. We're going to just take turns back and forth and each list a Sundance movie that we
1: saw. All right. So, Devindra, you go first. Sure. So, the first one I, I want to bring up is called Master. And this is a film by Mariama Diallo. It's about um, two black women who are, it's about a young. Uh, well, let, me, let me just put it this way. It's about two black women who are going through very unique experiences at like a fancy liberal arts college in New England. I think actually in Massachusetts, just like the one Dave and I went to. One is a student that's kind of going in there. And one is somebody who is essentially the a dean of students. Um, you know, one, one of the administrators, uh, their title, though, is master, which is. I uh, that that does feel like something that would have existed at a college like that. And they probably would have PC'd away that name. Um, but it's about their experiences at the school, which is predominantly white. And it is very much it's a horror movie. Like it is straight up. Uh, I think this movie is going to get compared to Get Out quite a bit. The thing about Get Out is that that was also a comedy you know, it had some funny bits and times where you could kind of like let off the steam and the tension. This movie does not really have that. like this movie is a very like, um, deep and engrossing. And, uh, I think like it, it goes hard when it comes to exploring how these, um, what these women are dealing with and the real specter, it's the specter of racism, uh, and institutional racism that infects a school like that. And, uh, I found this movie astounding and it is, I think it's something we're going to be talking about quite a bit. Um, certainly as like the next kind of get out type thing. Uh, but it's also a movie that I think goes even harder than get out did and mm. has some great performances by Regina Hall. Um, and I'm trying to find who's the Zoe Renee is the person is she plays the young college girl who's going in there. And there are just so many sequences of both of these characters just dealing with like the slights of existing in a predominantly like white and elite space, like the things people say to you, the simple way, like the simple um, microaggressions. Ways, microaggressions, the way people treat you. Um, it is simple things, but man, did I relate to a lot of this too? Because like when we went to our college, Dave, that is probably, that was like stepping onto another planet for me. You know, I learned what lacrosse was for the first time ever. There are all these like little customs and things that all the very rich people who went to our school um, just did, right? That was their lives. And it took me a long time to get used to that. And knowing like what um, black students went through at Amherst as well, a lot of this stuff just resonates. My wife uh, basically formed the first uh, multicultural resource center at Amherst College, and she was like facing a lot of that um, face first. And seeing how colleges would resist to even dealing with issues of their own institutional racism. So it is, um, this, this movie is like, it cuts deep. And I think it's definitely going to be something we're going to be talking about quite a bit. Uh, I cannot get it out of my head. It is incredibly well shot. It is super tense. And it has some of the best twists I can like remember in a very long time. So this is you know good horror, done very well. It is like The Shining meets a little bit of Get Out. And it, it just works so well. Awesome! I've heard mm-hmm. great things about the movie. I've been trying to get a ticket to Vindra. It's
0: uh, it's hard because you got uh, there. Uh, it's hard. they are digital tickets, but they are they do sell out. They they have a limited number of them. So uh, um,
1: and they can't they can't just make it unlimited, right? Right. Because they can't make it unlimited. Like, yeah. So because
0: mm-hmm. they want to preserve some of that uh, uniqueness of being able to watch a movie at a festival like this. But anyway, the movie's master. I've heard it's one of the best of the festival. I can't wait to check it out. It's going to be on Amazon Hall, Prime like, Yeah. Yeah, Regina Hall, who's in like multiple movies at Sundance this year, so she's having mm-hmm. a big. She's gonna have a big year, I think. Um, all mm-hmm. right, uh, let's talk about one movie I watched. It's called After Yang. Oh man, uh, After Yang. This is Koganada's new movie, uh, which is I think based on a short story or a mm-hmm. novel or it whatever. Is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought it was very good. It's a
1: fu- futuristic uh, movie uh, that takes place in the future, uh, where Qu- the- quote unquote future. Right, it is very much. Uh, it's a future like Spike Jones is her. Is a future, yeah 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 great know, great like- great uh, great pull, Devendra. Um And uh,
0: in in the near future, there are these things called techno sapients that are um, uh, sort of like hu- servants, but they're robots, right? Robot servants that are in your house and they they do the things that you want them to do. And there is a cultural technosapient named Yang, whose job it is to help uh, Colin Farrell's character's daughter uh, go through a transracial adoption Uh, because Colin Colin Farrell's character's daughter is Chinese and Colin Farrell and his wife are not Chinese and so Mm -hmm. uh, but in the opening scenes of the movie uh, Yang breaks down uh, and so the movie asks what happens after Yang Um, this is a beautiful film it's meditative it's about memory it's about race it's about uh, what it means to be human Uh, I I liked it a lot I, I you know it there are some issues I have with it. I think it's a little bit unfocused. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's very ambitious and it's it's very moving ultimately at the end of the day. Davingra you saw this one too. You liked it, right?
1: I did. I, this movie is going to be one of my favorites of the year. I can just like feel it right now. Did you ever see uh, Columbus? Dave? I haven't seen coconut Columbus Clash yet. I've heard great movie? things okay. about it. Yeah. Also great movie. Also very like slow and contemplative and meditative. And I love the world's coconut constructs. Like yes. um, his... He is very the world big building into, is very good in the, the world building is just yeah. so great he's very big into architecture so so many like his shots are just all about the spaces people live and exist in and i just kind of love i love the vibe of this movie uh it is sort of like it is a near future um where like everything is just a little bit um like there, there's a lot of like japanese influence everywhere so like uh, everybody is dressed in flowing robes. The apartments are like very nice. Like uh, it, it is as minimalist. If, uh, yeah. Very minimalist. What's the, what's the name of that store? Uh, Muji. It's as mm-hmm. if you had a, a house entirely made out of Muji stuff, you know, even the aesthetic of things like the self-driving cars that they sit in are just so like, I have never thought about that before, but yeah, let's get some plants in there. Let's get some like wood grain (laughs) onto the chairs. Let's just like get a nice Zen vibe into this future. (laughs) So I love these spaces he constructs. Uh, That that part is really good. But it's also, yeah, a really deep story about like, you know, it is about life and loss and existence. And, you know, this character Yang is essentially a member of their family, even though he's a robot. If we lose that person, um, it is like you're losing a family member. It's this entire movie is about Colin Farrell's character basically going out and trying to uh, repair Yang because his daughter has bonded more to Yang than he than she has to her. And um, I love me a good movie too, with a lot of like sad Colin Farrell and <laughs> sad like Colin Farrell just staring off into the distance. In this movie, he is a he's a tea seller. He's a man who's really into tea, and he's just like a lot of the sad Colin Farrell looks. Uh, this that is was the least burn. least realistic part
0: of the movie, is that yeah, somebody yeah. could make a living selling tea in the future.
1: Especially in the future, where there are apparently tea crystals. Tea
0: Vana w- can't even stay in business in the present, so I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. It's, it's that's, good. It's good.
1: I, re- I really Afri love Yang, the vibe. It's an 824
0: yeah. movie. It'll be out in
1: theaters later this year. Uh, Devinder, hit us with something. Sure. I also wanted to talk about 892 which is a film directed by Abiy DeMaris Corbin. And uh, it is very much like a modern Dog Day afternoon. It's actually about an event that happened here near Atlanta several years ago. Um, a veteran basically held up a bank with a bomb. And um, you can look up that story so you'll see how it ends and stuff. I won't reveal all that here. But this is a movie that discusses like um, kind of what led up to that. And uh, it stars John Boyega as brian brown easily this veteran and and, and michael <laughs> k williams final performance oh as man well and he is so movie. he looks like when he steps onto screen he is just like he is the negotiator of this mm. movie so it's like he is just like in charge he's buff he's looking so great and it i started tearing up at that point man because like yeah. he just looks beautiful in this movie and he had such a rich life and career ahead of him but anyway um this is very much dog day afternoon um, because it is based on a true story um this movie takes twists and turns that you probably wouldn't expect i think you feel really sympathetic towards the guy holding up the bank you know um the news reports around what brian brown easily did is that essentially painted him as a very very nice guy you know he let he was very courteous to the two uh, bank workers that he kept with him, but he made sure like he told all the customers to get out. You know, his goal wasn't to steal money from the bank, but it was to make awareness to the fact that the uh, the VA essentially had stolen money from him or had moved money around and was basically treating him very unfairly. So he was using uh, that bank heist or bank holdup. Cause he said he had a bomb. Uh, he was using that holdup to like get awareness for what was going on there. And I think John Boyega, this is one of the best performances of John Boyega's career. I think the filmmaking is really, really well done because any sort of like bank robbery movie or um, hostage movie like this, I think inherently has a lot of you know great drama around it, but this movie does it really well, and um, yeah, it does very much have that dog day afternoon vibe too of like being set in a space. You know, it, it feels very Atlanta, it is very much about the community here and about things like people are actually going through right here because. There are many military bases here. There are many, many veterans who are not getting the help that they need. And this movie is kind of like a rallying cry around that. So I thought it was really, really well done. This is called 892. Um, yeah, I hope it gets distribution soon. I haven't looked up that. All right. Uh, I watched a movie called
0: The Watcher. Uh, Do you hear about this movie? This yeah, is yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so this is a movie that's directed by Chloe Okuno. Uh, And it stars Micah Monroe. And I uh, wrote in my review of Watcher, if I had a nickel for every time Micah Monroe starred in a small indie horror film in which Uh sketchy-ass people are following her around, I would have two nickels. But it's still (laughs) weird that it happened twice. Uh, This movie is... So Chloe Okuno, in my opinion, is a really exciting filmmaker. She... Directed one of the segments of VHS ninety four, which just mm-hmm. came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hail Ratma uh, segment. that was so good. It's a great yeah. segment, right? One of the best segments of that of that movie. Um, and so she made this movie called Watcher, which is about Micah Monroe's character going to Romania with her boyfriend, and then like there's a sketchy ass guy who's who's like watching her, potentially following her around, and kind of how she deals with it. Uh, I thought this is a solid thriller. You know, uh, mm-hmm. really great acting by Micah Monroe. I think she's enormously talented and I hope she gets more work and more high profile work in the future. Um, and Chloe Kuno is a, uh, is a talented filmmaker and nice. I think uh, she's going to, uh, she has a bright future ahead of her. Uh, but yeah, this movie pretty scary, some uh, great cinematography, some decent scares. Uh, I would say it's solid. Uh, I gave it three and a half out of five stars on Letterboxd. Uh, and if you want a, a, a decent thriller, I, I think you could do a lot worse than Watcher which is, again, uh, one of the movies that I saw at Sundance this year.
2: Hey, I gotta jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, The Last Movie Ever Made, the Don't Look Up podcast. Now imagine you're a filmmaker shooting a comedy about the end of the world, and all around you it feels like the world is really ending. What do you do? Well, this is the story of The Last Movie Ever Made, the official podcast about the making of Don't Look Up The new film now on Netflix. And you know, if you listen to the show, I really like that movie a lot. It was my number 10 in my top 10 of 2021. And this podcast documents what happened when Adam McKay brought hundreds of cast and crew to Boston to make a movie in the middle of a pandemic. And not just any cast. We're talking Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Tyler Perry, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Kate Blanchett, Rob Morgan, Kid Cudi, and Ariana Grande. By day, they were making a satire about societal collapse, and by night, they were isolated in hotel rooms, watching society collapse on the nightly news, and recording their reactions in real time. It's the last movie ever made. Out now... On Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Dividor hardware. Hit us up with another one. I want to quickly shout out a movie called We Met in Virtual Reality, which is a documentary filmed entirely inside VR chat. I don't know if you guys are aware of what VR Chat is, but it is like a mm. social community. It is very much like imagine Second Life, except actually in a thing people can embody with their VR avatars. And um this is really, really cool. Uh, I wrote up a full review at Engadget, so you could go check that out. It's directed by Joe Hunting, somebody who's been making documentaries inside of VR quite a bit, and explores like how people, especially during twenty twenty and during the pandemic. Uh, really leaned on their VR chat friends because uh, mm. you can actually go there and hang out with people and chat and do things like you can actually go on like little adventures. Uh, somebody built a level where like there are cars and you can like drive them virtually and you can go on virtual joyrides. There are a couple, there are several couples featured in this movie of people who basically found a deep connection with somebody else over virtual reality and over the internet. I thought that was all really moving and uh, it reminds me of like. I, I don't know what you, you guys' experiences have been like in early online, you know, communication stuff. Like, um, I remember chat rooms in the '90s. I remember message boards in the early '90s. Yeah. Jeff, I, A- I forgot when you I, went I was online. on AOL chat before there was A- AOL Instant Messenger. Exactly, you know, when exactly. It was AOL <laughs> chat. You were stuck on AOL. You couldn't go anywhere else. <laughs> um, but I remember, and I made friends in those places. I, I used to be on like anime and video game chat rooms. I met friends with people that I still know to this day. I ended up meeting like I meet those people occasionally. Like I've met for somebody that I knew for twenty five years for the first time at E three a couple of years ago. So I understand like what that sense of community can be, and I think this documentary d- does a great job of showing like how virtual reality can even take that a step further. Um, it is really well done, and what's also cool is that it is shot like a traditional uh, documentary. So Joe Hunting is using a virtual camera that he can like hold up mm. and uh, adjust aperture, adjust focus and do everything you could do with a normal camera. Um, so it has that vibe of being like, it's shot like a documentary. You know, it's not it's not just somebody like walking around VR and you see their like really shaky first person view footage. Um, I think it's really well made and well constructed. So this is a director I'll definitely be paying attention to. We're also going to be chatting with him on the Engadget podcast uh, later this week. So check us out for that too. Cool. Uh, that's Super We cool. Met in Virtual Reality. Mm-hmm. It feels you like it's right up Jeff Kanata's right. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. man. I'm very so. intrigued. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so We Met in Virtual Reality. Uh, I want to talk about my favorite thing that I saw at the festival. It's Duel. Mm. Uh, this is Riley Stern's newest movie. Uh, Riley Stern's writer-director of movies such as Faults, which we actually reviewed here on the film cast. Uh, he also directed a movie called The Art of Self-Defense, a very enjoyable movie, uh, that I uh, talked about a couple years ago.
1: I don't know if enjoyable is the word for that movie, but it's, <laughs> it's certainly a harrowing movie, yeah.
0: This is my favorite movie that he's made. I mm. think this is so good. Uh, I'm not even going to tell you anything about what the movie's about. I'm just going to say that Karen Gillan's in the movie, it's a uh, darkly comedic thriller, and it, it, it he feels very much like he is now American Yorgos Lanthimos. And I say that mm-hmm. in a very mm-hmm. way that's very complimentary. Yorgos mm-hmm. Lanthimos is one of my favorite filmmakers. And when I say Yorgos Lanth- Lanthimos, I mean like the the world building is like weird and discombobulating. Um, the performances and the way people talk and their affect is like kind of strange a little bit. But the effect is really, really hilarious and um, very discomforting. And I just enjoyed this movie so much. It grabs you right from the opening scene and it does not let go. Um, it's, it's my favorite thing that I saw at Sundance so far I'm going to watch a couple more movies probably But the movie is Duel And it's Riley Stearns' newest movie And I, I, gotta, I, I gotta believe It's going to get distribution mm-hmm. I saw an XYZ Films logo in front of it So I assume it's going to get distributed later this year uh, But it's great I, I think it's sold out for the rest of the festival But if you have a chance to watch it uh, Duel by Riley Stearns
1: Alright, Davinder, last thing you watched at Sundance uh, Yeah, I, I saw something that is deeply fucked up and that is a movie called Speak No Evil. And uh, it is, uh, I, I don't know, what you would you call one of those like elevator horror movies? Uh, it is about... Elevated horror movies. Elevated, right? yes. yes.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you said elevator horror movie. Yeah, I was no. like, this isn't
1: Devil, the M. Night Shyamalan no. executive no. produced <laughs> movie. There's only one of those. Uh, <laughs> no, this, this is a movie that starts out just being about like a guy dealing with his own like existential angst about being, I don't know, kind of like a modern yuppie. Um, It's about a Danish family and a Dutch family who meet uh, on a holiday. I think in In an elevator, in an elevator, Uh, they meet in Tuscany and they're like, you know, occasionally you, you go somewhere and you find somebody else. they like, Hey, you have a kid too. And our kids are the same age and they can hang out. You kind of become vacation friends, you know? And, uh, eventually the Dutch family invites the Danish family to come, Yeah, come check out our cool home. We live near the forest. You know, our kids can hang out. We can have a fun weekend. And, um, I think this movie is a good, good sign of why you shouldn't go on vacation with strangers. Just, <laughs> never do that um this movie is going to be talked about quite a bit because uh it goes places and i will not say anything about where it goes except that it is deeply deeply messed up and i think there're going to be all sorts of trigger warnings for this movie especially for uh parents of children mm. it just really taps into a lot of fears that parents have um i can never show my wife this movie like it mm. is chilling there there are images from this movie that i will never Rip out of uh, my head, so I have mm, to say, good great. job, Christian trip You've you've screwed me up <coughs> <off> for life.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm intrigued. I mean, I mean, I, I, think I don't you, even know if even you think Dave it's Greenwood. good. I think you you specifically, <laughs> Dave, like especially
1: you don't have the uh, the child fears yet. Um, mm-hmm, but but even if terms I did, like, I probably would still be pretty. It, good, d- sure. d- it is d- very d- much. Say, uh, I
2: can't unsee it. Dave is like, ooh, I gotta you, see yes. it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you imagine like a Michael Hanukkah level cruelty mm-hmm. in a horror movie, that is essentially where Love this it. movie goes. Love and it. you're like, yes, sign me yes, up. To, sign yes. Sign me up. More. Okay. Well, now I was like
0: kind of on the fence about this one. Now I'm like, bring it on. Um Yeah. So it is okay. coming
1: soon too. It's releasing on March 17th. So Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just gonna it's run gonna down everything
0: we just listed. Okay. It's Master After Yang, Watcher Duel 892. We met in virtual reality and speak no evil um some of those you will still be able to have, ch- have a chance to watch at sundance this year and many of them will come out uh later this year i would say of those davindro what do you think we'll be talking about at the end of the year
1: probably after yang probably yep. master right yes i think those two specifically yeah um like after yang just hit me so hard that feels like one that could run away with yeah, like th- some of the big awards at sundance yeah. those
0: those could be on our top 10 list at end of year we'll see
1: yep um, assuming they do,
0: assuming they may, they aren't excluded off of a technicality if they're not released by then but uh, yeah, so that is what we saw at Sundance. Uh, you know, I I have had overall a great experience. You know, I just think like it's oh, this is yeah. so cool. It's so cool, you know, like and sometimes you go to a film festival and you watch a bunch of movies that aren't great, but like, you know, overall I'd say like these have been very engaging movies. This has been really better than last
1: it. year, because last year there wasn't a great selection of movies, I think, at Sundance. Like I saw a ton of stuff at last year and Coda came out of that, but mm-hmm. I feel like this year they're just more interesting films. And we're seeing like, you know, more like more diverse directors too, like getting a chance at things. So yeah. it it's been good so far. I've basically been watching two movies a night uh for the past uh four or five days so there are things i've seen that i haven't even mentioned here and we'll talk more next week because i need to put my thoughts together all right uh well that's what we've been watching a sentence let's go back
0: to uh what we've been watching in general but you know what we've been talking for so long jeff i'm gonna throw it over to you for now <laughs> yeah
2: well um, please yeah all right uh let me just say that while you guys were doing that this weekend i you know i didn't this isn't what people come to the show to, to hear about but just briefly i'll say but I have to say, if we're talking about what we've been watching, I watched what will, I think, go down as probably the greatest weekend of professional football ever played. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not joking. There were four yeah. games and all of them were some of the most dramatic playoff football I've ever seen. So anyway, I just shout out the fact that I spent uh, many, many hours watching incredible professional football being played. Uh, including my, my 49ers, my beloved 49ers uh, progressing to the NSV Championship game in dramatic fashion over uh, Aaron Rodgers and and the, uh, and the Packers. I can't speak tonight, evidently. I can't speak
0: English, but mm. I'm trying. So the tragedy of Macbeth, Jeff, you watched this yes. movie in preparation for last week's episode?: I did. I'm so curious what you thought of it.
2: Uh, overall, I liked it. I mean, I think it's, it's, I think it is a um, I think it is a beautiful staging of this play. I I am a big fan of Shakespeare. I've performed a lot of it. Uh I've studied a lot of it. I love the language um uh and and these plays I I get very excited about new new stagings. I get very excited to to see how uh a a visionary you know filmmaker in this case but um dramatist, I guess you could even say uh, envisions these classic plays and seeing new actors play the parts. You know, I think Denzel Washington is extraordinary. I mean, extraordinary. I think the way he speaks the verse is really highly skilled. It is, um, it is. He he see, speaks it very colloquially. It mm-hmm. is. It, it yes. feels so comfortable in his mouth, like he's just talking to you uh you know using a vernacular it, it is
0: but i I think he still respects the language though oh you know? very
2: much so I mean it's it's there's a precision and a yes, um
0: exactly precision is what I would use to describe
2: yes yeah. there's a there it, it's studied it is studied it is not uh casual yeah but it exactly. feels casual it feels very um it feels very conversational mm-hmm. uh, and and in the medium of film you know we've criticized before like this sort of whispery Thing, but it, it, the medium of film allows the microphone and the and the lens to be right up next to you. You don't have to project yes. to the back row of a of a theater, and you're able to be much more intimate. And uh, many of the actors in this staging take advantage of that. And I think that is your absolute um, privilege to do when you're doing Shakespeare on film is to be able to be much more intimate than you could ever be on stage with it. Um, and I I, I just. I came away thinking, wow, I want to see Denzel do more Shakespeare. He's so, so good. It just, it just feels comfortable in his mouth. It's um, beautiful. Having said that, I am mm. shocked to say, because if you had asked me going in what, what I was most excited about, I would have said, I'm most excited to see Frances McDormand play Lady Macbeth. I think she is by far the weak link
3: Uh, In this production,
2: in this film. Uh, I don't understand her take on that character at Hmm. all. Hmm. Uh, It is so dry and so passionless and so clinical and so measured. uh, And I just don't think that works at all. I mean, I, 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 I don't understand it. This is a passion role. This is a woman who... Kind of goes crazy. And in particular, there's a a very famous scene where she calls out uh, Macbeth and says, uh, basically is saying like, hey, how come you're not as passionate about this as I am? You know, she basically says, hey, when you come around and want to have sex with me, you are super passionate. Maybe use some of that now to stand up for yourself and take <laughs> the the crown, dude. Like, stop being such a wuss and use some of your passion. But the way Frances McDormand delivers those speeches mm-hmm. is so removed and analytical and uh, logical. She's a, she's plays it with such logic and lack of uh, impassion. Uh, impassioned speech. And I, I it just did not work for me at all. Um, do
1: you think Jeff that that uh, people have been talking about this too, because the ages are very different, you know, compared to a typical Macbeth and lady Macbeth. Right? right. So coming at it as an older couple who maybe were working so hard to like reach a certain level of status. Um, maybe do you think the calculations? are different rather than the passion of youth. It's more like, okay, well, listen, buddy, you got a shot here. This is our last fucking shot. You know? Yeah. Like it's, you, it's you gotta much do more this. About it, yeah.
0: The, 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 using older actors makes it feel much more about like legacy than yeah. it's yeah. it's definitely we still about no ambition. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely still about ambition, but it's it feels more about legacy than like I'm climbing the corporate ladder kind of thing. Right? Yes,
2: but I mean the, yeah. the the words are, you know uh, when he literally responds to her with like, um, you know, it, it, if I didn't know better, I think you were a man. You know, like mm-hmm. you're so you're 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 ready to go off and and win a war right now. Like he like the 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 words are he she's saying to him, be more passionate, and he's saying, wow, I can't believe how passionate you're being. And the way she delivers it is is just the antithesis of that, right? Mm. Which clearly is a choice. It just isn't a choice that worked for it me. It didn't work for you, yeah. At all. Yeah. Uh and it just it's it's so dry and so I mean, that's what I love about this play, is that it is it, it it is this woman completely persuading this man to indulge in his deepest, darkest desires. And then he and and he starts believing things that he shouldn't, right? mm mm-hmm. Uh uh, and so I don't know. I went back after I watched it and, and rewatched uh, the Trevor Nunn uh, 60s, um, uh, Ian McKellen and, um, yeah. um, oh God, why can't I think of her name? Um, uh, M from Bond.
0: Judy Dench. Judy mm-hmm.
2: Dench. Maybe I still am in the fog, guys. Uh, maybe <laughs> I still am. Okay. Uh, Judy Dench. Okay. I, I think anybody, it's on YouTube. You can watch it. I, I love Ian McKellen. I don't love his performance of Macbeth. It's a, it's a, it's a storied, uh, performance that is, I mean, his tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is, is, is beautifully performed and he speaks the language very, very beautifully, but, um, I'll take Denzel over him any day. I just feel like Denzel is like, it's speaking from his gut and, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but man, uh, Judy Dench, it, to me is the gold standard, of that mm. part, like she, she is like wrenching it out of her soul in every moment. It is mm-hmm. extraordinary, and it, and it holds up. It's been, you know, it's on film. It's a staged production, but it was on film um, for the BBC, and it, you can find it on 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 YouTube. And just watch that scene and compare it to this one. I just feel like, for me, that's what the play sort of demands is that. She's like impugning his masculinity. She's literally saying, stop being such a wuss, dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of like making this very erudite case that which is kind of how mm-hmm. Francis McDornham came across to me. Anyway, I have very strong feelings. I I thought overall it's a beautiful uh production. I love the staging. I love the the way it's sort of flat and deep all at the same time. Uh, the 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 stark set and um Art direction is really, really, I think, beautiful and interesting. Um, so there's a lot to like about this production. I certainly liked it more than the the previous one that we we talked about.
0: Yeah, it's interesting um, that our our first reaction, yours and mine, was to like go back to the last one we had saw or, or, or saw or were thinking about. Right? Yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I think what's great about reviewing a movie like the tragedy of Macbeth is. These words have been interpreted so many different times and like by different directors and different actors. And it's very, very different every single time. And you're like, you know, you take things away from each performance that you witness. And you're like, did did, did I really feel that way? Was that really like that? Or was that just what I was thinking? Exactly.
2: Yeah, that is that's exactly what I experienced. It's like, am I just remembering this? Right, right, differently, and you see, no, it really is an interpretation. No, it really was that way. Yeah, it really yeah. was
0: what I remember it as. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it that much, Jeff. Um, well, I did. But, I mean, I, I, yeah. I,
2: it was very watchable, and I think uh, it's you know they hacked the hell out of the play. Right? It's very, yes. it's short, it's crisp. Um, it, you know, it's very watchable. If it's if it's your first Shakespeare, I think it's a, it's a pretty darn good first Shakespeare. Like, yes, you get through it fast. It's you know, there's a lot lot cut out of the the play, and you kind of get the you get the gist of it. Um, oh, and, and the you know the the woman who plays the witches is like mm. haunting. Oh my gosh! Incredible, yeah. incredible, yeah.
0: unbelievable. Uh, I've never seen anything like it before. But yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I agree.
0: Anyway, uh, I, Catherine Hunter, I think is her name, right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, but anyway, that's a tragedy, of Macbeth. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Jeff also saw it. It's available on Apple TV Plus. It's one of the things that Jeff Canada has been watching.
2: Hey, it's time once again for me to jump in and tell you about HelloFresh. I love talking about HelloFresh. I made a HelloFresh meal tonight for my family. It was pork chops with this incredible rosemary sauce, mashed potatoes, and uh, roasted carrots and onions that were unbelievably delicious. This is like restaurant quality stuff. I'm telling you, HelloFresh! You get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients, seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep, You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why it is America's number one meal kit. And it is why I have been a happy HelloFresh subscriber for years now. And the new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you. Whether that's saving money by ordering less takeout, or learning to cook, or learning to enjoy to cook, or prioritizing your wellness. HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. I have become a person that actually likes to cook, and I feel pride at cooking for my family because HelloFresh gives me those pre-portioned ingredients. I don't have to go to the store and buy a whole bunch of stuff that's just going to end up in the garbage. It's pre-portioned, and it includes farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get convenience without skimping on quality. You don't have to go to the grocery store. And with 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie and calorie smart and family friendly and gourmet options, you have so much more variety in your menu. I love it. I'm not eating the same things every week. Recipes like hibachi sweet soy, bavette steak and shrimp. What is that? I don't know. I can make it though with HelloFresh. And it becomes this restaurant quality meal that I made for my family. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Filmcast16 and use code Filmcast16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-6 for 16 free meals and three free gifts, Hello Fresh, America's number one meal kit.
0: Jeff, what else have you been watching this week?
2: Well, based on uh, a number of hashtag slash tag recommendations, as we we love to get those hashtag slash tag recommendations, uh, I do check them every week. Um, a number of people recommended Archive 81, which is a new Netflix series based on a podcast. Mm-hmm. So um I'm very excited to see what our Netflix series is gonna be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh
0: I'm sure, my wife I'm sure they're and I, working on it as we speak.
2: Yeah, they must be, right? <laughs> they must be. Uh, my wife and I blasted through all eight episodes wow. of Archive 81. Uh have you watched it?
0: I watched the first episode and I, it was like the number one show on Netflix for several days yeah. uh, last week. And then I heard from some, f- f- uh, some colleagues of mine that like, they, they liked the show overall, but that they weren't a huge fan of how it ended. And I'm like, uh eh, I don't know if I have time for that, but that's kind well, of, that, that was my our experience.
2: experience was watching the first episode and going, whoa, I'm, I'm hooked. This mm-hmm. is my, this is a good, this is my wife doesn't like horror stuff, Mm-hmm. And this is very much marketed as a horror thing. It's not really a horror thing. It's it's a it's a it's a little spooky scary. Right. And there's like there's not
0: like that much gore or anything like that. No,
2: I mean there's a little blood. It's really more it's more a mystery, right? And my wife Mm -hmm. loves mysteries. She's like, you know, she's always trying to figure out the the ending. And and I love watching stuff with her because she's really tied into that kind of thing. So it, it was great because, you know, even though the, you know, the the static image when you hover over it is like this demon face and you're like uh, this uh, she's like I don't want to watch this I'm like just give it a shot just give it a shot
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> <HX slash tech.
2: laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh I said if, you know if it's too scary we'll, we'll stop watching it but you know we ended up like over 2 days watching the whole thing. Nice. And our experience after the first episode was like I hope this sticks the landing. <laughs> I hope this sticks the landing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I want this to stick the landing. Just let it not suck at the end. <laughs> just let it because these kinds of shows mm-hmm. are predicated on a question: What the fuck is going on? Right. Yes. So the entire is seven and a half hours before the last half hour of these shows, you're going, ooh, can I figure out what's going on? Ooh, that ooh that changes things up. Oh, what 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 does that mean? You know, it's it's all about what's the big reveal going to be. So the entire time, every time we started a new episode, we turned to each other. I hope this thing, I hope the ending is worth this. And I'm here to tell you it's not, it's not. Uh, it, 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 um. now I will caveat that and say, I think we enjoyed the experience of watching mm-hmm. it. I think actually mm-hmm. she enjoyed it even more than I did mm-hmm. because I think it has some fun twists and turns and it does some clever things. And in a lot of ways, it's funny, I feel like the first few episodes are really well made and then at a certain point it's not well made at, anymore. It's like it kind of it's weird. Uh-huh. It's very weird that way. Um it it starts so it does a thing that I've never really seen before and I sort of gave it credit for that at the beginning and by the end I was like, "Well, that was such a kind of a bad decision." <laughs> Which is the premise of Archive 81, uh-huh, is basically the premise of a found footage movie. It mm-hmm. is this young guy gets hired by a mysterious company to digitize a bunch of old footage. And he starts seeing things on this. He's like, you know, um, recovering these tapes that that were almost yeah, burned up in a fire. he's digitally restoring these tapes, yeah. Yeah, they were almost burned in a fire. And he's restoring them and then digitizing them. Uh, so he starts watching, you know, as he's doing that, he's watching what's on the tapes. And a mystery starts... Uh, being um, uncovered that something happened back in 1994. And so he's watching this woman with a camcorder record stuff in 1994 and he starts getting drawn into that mystery. So it is, in a large sense, a found footage show because what we're watching is a person watching found footage, a, a person literally finding footage and watching it. But it also then... Frequently, a lot just changes perspectives and lets us see the 1994 time period as if that's the television show. Right. Right. Yes. So we're inside, you know, shot reverse shot. Yes. Ostensibly watching what he's only seeing from this camcorder perspective in a found footage movie. Mm-hmm. But the 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 show takes creative license and says, well, we're actually going to take you there and show it to you as if, as a normal television show would, staging it and having camera angles and all that stuff. But still, we still see the character holding the camcorder, so we know that our other character in the present is able to watch it only from that perspective. Right. Which I, I thought, that's kind of clever. Like, I've never seen anybody do that quite yes. like that before.
0: Agreed, agreed. Uh, my My feeling was they could not achieve what they wanted to artistically with the older segments using just found footage. Right. So they wanted to like actually, you know, show it like a conventional show. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, clearly you spend a lot of time back in time. And of course there are lots of found footage films where you're stick just with the found footage and it's disorienting or clumsy or, you know, there's all these problems with that. And also you always have this problem problem of like, well, why are they still filming right now? Which, you still have in this movie. You just see it like from a normal movie like the characters like having dialogue and just holding a camcorder for no reason,
0: which is pretty funny. <laughs> they're not even like pointing it at the person. Yeah, it's
2: know, yeah. it's very funny because <laughs> yeah. just, it's like a, a, a like a they're holding a, a mug of coffee or something. It's been, yeah. after, it has to be a camcorder. Yeah. Uh, just to justify the fact that this other guy later on is also seeing this, you know. Um but then it, like I mean there's I don't want to spoil anything for anybody but there's a whole episode where we like see yet another time period. And we spend the entire episode in that time period. And it literally adds no additional information that I could glean. Um, It really, it really, I think fumbles the ball at the end. It just, it, it builds a kind of beautiful deck of, uh, or excuse me, house of cards um, that, You're like, oh, wow, how is it going to maintain this house of cards? Oh, it it just isn't. Oh, okay. Um, And there is an explanation, right? It isn't that there isn't an explanation. There is an explanation. It's just not particularly interesting, in my opinion. And I think that the filmmaking gets sloppier and less interesting at the end as well. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes more of a kind of a schlocky, almost like like a Xena warrior princess, you know, level production at the end than... The beginning, which feels like this prestige television show,
0: well, that is a shame, sir, that is a shame, but, yeah, uh well, it sounds like you still had a decent time, but like the end the landing, therefore probably not something I'm gonna watch <laughs> um but the show is archive eighty one It's one of the top ten shows on Netflix as we record this, so a lot of people are watching it talking about it. You may enjoy it. Check it out on Netflix, Jeff, last thing you've been watching this week,
2: I've been watching Peacemaker which is the uh, the James Gunn spinoff of uh, Suicide Squatter. The Suicide Squad. I can never remember yeah. which one has the the. Suicide the Suicide Squad. Second one has the the, because second one has more words. That's <laughs> what I remember.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that makes
0: sense. I don't know more. why you think that second one has more. I guess sec- two is higher than one, right? Yeah, so, you need more yeah.
2: words in the second. You got to yeah. add something. Let's add yeah, a the. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Um, anyway... <laughs> I really enjoyed the Suicide Squad. Loathed Suicide Squad. Really enjoyed the Suicide Squad. And one of the standout characters in that sequel is the John Cena character, Peacemaker. This is a spinoff for that character, who is a despicable person. Horrible uh, he, person. Yes. Yeah.
1: But, Justice for Rick Fleck. Let
2: me just. Justice <laughs> for Rick Fleck. But, uh, but I mean, if you like the James Gunn comedic sensibilities in that it is sort of an action comedy blend that's uh, uh, irreverent and kind of goofy and has a little bit of, uh, as my friend called it, a uh, hair metal vibes. Um, and heart.
1: It has heart. Like it has all it that plus heart. heart. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. Uh, all of that is present in this show. I think the show is wonderful and I am an unabashed fan of John Cena.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think what a showcase for him. It's yeah. a it's, it this is the perfect
2: role for John Cena, right? We s- saw him in Fast 9 trying to be a straight up action, you know, villain yeah. antagonist. He, he cannot
1: scowl. He's not a scowler. He's not a How scowler. The, yeah. The,
2: what is wonderful is that he seems to have realized that he is just inherently a funny dude. He's mm-hmm. a charming, funny Dude, And when he leans into looking ridiculous or, uh, you know, being an ass or being the butt of the joke, it works really, really well because he's so likable that he can pull that off. And not many people can. And I think there was this, you know, specifically with the Furious franchise, um, there was this desire to make him the next Rock, you Mm -hmm. know. And the Rock... Whatever room The Rock walks into, he's the coolest guy in the room, right? Mm-hmm. He's always the coolest guy in the room, which is why Vin Diesel can't stand him. Um, not so with John Cena. John Cena walks into the room, he's often the least cool guy in the room. But when he leans into that and makes fun of himself and doesn't take himself so seriously, he's a very gifted comedic
1: mm-hmm. actor. He He's like a really insecure, uncool guy in the body of an Adonis. Exactly, you know? which yeah. which is a
2: wonderful juxtaposition. It's a it's a, it's it's a funny in and of itself. Like this guy is is perfect and yet a goofball, a total goofball, and like that that's rare. And I love the fact that he gets it, and I think that James Gunn definitely gets it, mm-hmm. and it works. It really works. And I, I'm I'm hope. I mean, I'm just I love to see John Cena being used in the correct way. And this show—it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, I like it. This
1: show is better than the Suicide Squad. Whoa. I think the show is fantastic. Like that's the thing. Like it does everything James Gunn has been doing, and like I, I think his best work. But it has the room to breathe and be weird and be silly and be irreverent. I think at the opening of yeah, this show, great. which is just the entire cast doing like this choreographed dance, is the most ridiculous thing. I've seen on my TV screen in a very long time, like Robert Patrick is there doing a like synchronized dance with these folks. And they're all like
2: deadpan, no smile, just staring deadpan at the camera as they do these ridiculous choreographed moves. I can't
1: skip it. I can't skip it. It is a work of art. And I feel like if, if you find that funny, if you at the first conversation John Cena has with somebody uh, like the, the janitor, at the, uh, where is he, the hospital or the jail he's coming out of, is just like, is just hilarious. Like, oh yeah, you're that racist superhero, right? You're, You're the guy who just kills all the brown people. And John is like, no, 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 it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm where the action is. And uh, goes, they just I've happen kill, to be. i killed a lot of white
2: people. I've killed yeah. a lot of white
1: people. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, but you are where the brown people are. And it is a great conversation. It's just like the the, the, patter, the patter, the back and forth is really good. Uh, I love I love all the characters in the show too, like Danielle Brooks um, from Orange is the New Black is in here. Everybody has a chance to shine and be weird, but mostly it is John Cena being a shameless goofball too like he can't do anything like i feel like he's up for anything right he has a full yeah. on fight in his tidy whiteies after we get like a very graphic sex scene with him against somebody too uh, there and there are all these like little surprises of visual gags too i this show is so much fun like this is what i wanted from a james Gunn thing i feel like the suicide squad just had to it it couldn't be like a big epic you know it couldn't give us the full depth of those characters and i like it it's fine uh this is what i want though from a james gunn project all
0: right well it sounds like you're both fans of peacemaker uh i plan to check it out yeah i think it's... you would uh you will cackle at this show dave like it is very smart all right uh well that's peacemaker it's available right now on hbo max that's what jeff canada's been watching let's now circle back <laughs>
3: we're going back me and and yeah
0: got a few last things we got to run down all right um, so I had a chance to check out this movie called The House on Netflix. Mm. You guys hear about this? I've I've seen like the a trailer th- for that. It's beautiful. The three-part horror stop anim stop motion animation horror anthology. Mm-hmm. Uh all of all three parts center on this house. Uh, over time, you see it in different time periods. Um, I think this is uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's it's beautifully done. You know, stop motion animation is just like really interesting just because it has a whole different feel than watching CG. Um, you can really sense the texture of all the, the physical objects they use to make it. And uh, I think at least one out of the three stories are sufficiently creepy. And so people are like, some people say like the first one's the best. Some people are like the second ones, you know, people have different opinions on which one's the best, but um, yeah, I I did. I found it to be an interesting journey. It's the house on Netflix. Um, That's one thing I've been watching this week. And I also watched in its entirety, Ozark season four, part one. You're a mad thing. What? Now this is, uh, this is the only show that I watch that I don't like. <laughs> and I don't like it, and I don't like myself when yeah. I watch it. We had this conversation
1: last season. I, yeah, I know. I like, love why? this show, Dave,
2: and I don't yeah. understand why you you insist on bringing it up just to slog on it. It's, Dude, I, I watched the first episode of season four so back in, so hooked, so excited. I I just I don't understand your position on this at
4: all.
0: Okay, here's a, you know, Jeff, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> Seven hours, to be precise. Yeah, <laughs> it turns out um, Dave just really hates himself. Like that's I think, it. I think, honestly, Jeff, here's here's where I'm because I thought a lot about what we talked about last time we talked about the show, <laughs> right? And you, you know, um, I mean, I still fundamentally disagree with you, but but I think you were like, if you watched it, Dave, and you like got something out of it, then then you enjoyed it to some degree, right? And I think that here is where I'm landing on Ozark, right? Is I think we're watching Jason Bateman and Laura Linney do some of the best work of their lives. Right? Like Absolutely. That's, that's ultimately what what keeps me coming back is they're so good and specifically Laura Linney, there's just so few opportunities you get to have to watch Laura Linney be like a Lady Macbeth style badass, right? Which she is in this movie in the show. Yeah. Basically. Everything else about the show is not good, in my opinion, um I mean no no that's not that's an exaggeration. I like the score. I like how it looks, you know, so there's there's many things about the craft of the show that's good. It's just like the story, I think, is just at a point of complete ridiculousness. It's just characters doing random uh shit to just stir things up and then eventually get killed um, and it it is just kind of <laughs> beyond the realm of any kind of believability or emotional attachment for me but I'm still going to watch till the end because look, like I've gone this far, you know, I've gone this far. So anyway, I'm loving
2: it. I'm I, I've only watched the first episode of season four. We were busy powering through arcade of 81, yeah. but, uh, I am in, I just, I love what they're doing with the kids this season. I think it, 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 ups the stake. There's a new kind of, uh, tension character, this private investigator that is like poking around. I, I just, I'm I love the show. I, I love the show. And I, I my wife and I talk about it, talk about you quite frequently as we watch <laughs> it because we are baffled as to your, I mean, you, you continue to try to clarify your position and it does no good for me to understand. Yeah, uh, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it, it's funny because it,
1: it's like the broken, uh, I don't know, sort of inverse of Dave's feelings on endings, right? If the ending is bad, the whole journey is bad, whereas now it's like, it's you the journey know the is, journey is bad. You know the journey is bad. And you're still the going. Major,
0: the ending might be good. They might stick this one. I, anyway, okay. anyway there, are many, there are many redeeming things about Ozark, but just some of the decisions they make are completely maddening. I'm going to ask you this question, Jeff Kanata. Have you seen... Are you caught up with Better Call Saul?
2: No. It's a great shame of mine. Oh
0: no, Because Better Call Saul is... It, it, it's There's so many things about Better Call Saul that's like literally what Ozark is doing but yeah. good. Ozark is <laughs> the gum underneath Better Call Saul. It, it, it like. is like Better Call Saul season five is incredible. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, that. like may, maybe if you if you tasted the steak, you'd know why I consider <laughs> this <an> hamburger. <laughs> um, but I, I, like... I I, this this freaking like microwaved white castle burger. (laughs) I I think I came off as too negative in this because I wanted to kind of like concede Jeff's point that there are (laughs) yeah good good things. Good job
2: conceding, Dave.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I I don't think I landed the message.
2: Unfortunately, no. I don't think you know how to concede.
0: (laughs) Well, that's definitely true. But yes, um, but no, there are definitely compelling things about ozark that keep me coming back and i hate myself for it so that's ozark season four part one it's on netflix right now um i have a fuller review on youtube if you want to hear more of my thoughts on it which by the way no one does um that that is literally the worst performing video i have made in the last 12 months is my review of ozark season four justifiably So, so Yeah, I think everyone feels the same way Jeff does. Um, but uh, part one is available right now on Netflix, and part two will be available later in 2022. And I'm going to watch it. Um, <laughs> Just all yourself. right. <laughs> yes. Uh, so those are the other things I have been watching this week.
2: Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, TheraGun. Have you tried a Theragon? Have you felt it? There's no way for me to convey in audio form what it is like to experience a Theragun. It is extraordinary. The Theragun is one of our most prized possessions in our home because of how much it affects us. My wife and I both, we live and die by this Theragun because we're, we are we have a lot of stress, I'll be honest. We have a lot of stress and both of us work from home. We both work in front of computers all day long. We have tense muscles. We had sore necks and backs and and it's not pretty. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. It really is quite remarkable. And the Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. I can't express to you what it feels like. Just a few seconds of, of the Theragun changes my mood, changes the feeling in my body. I'm I'm really quite taken by this thing. And whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or from an injury or just from the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. Four, the OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future or a prop from a sci-fi movie. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behavior and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers, including myself. I am telling you... I use it quite frequently. You can try the Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash filmcast. Therabody, dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T.
1: Devinder Hardware. uh... Last thing you've been watching. One more it thing. Is. Yeah, yes. I want to shout out the book of Boba Fett. It is, it is wild to me. We're we're in like uh, a season of just super rich television where a whole new Star Wars show can come out, right? And uh, I know people are watching it, but I, it took me a while. I don't think uh, you guys have talked about it at all. Um, I have this thing zero interest in it. Okay, yeah, exactly. This so, thing can yeah. come out, and you're like, eh. And uh, I yeah. totally get that. Mm-hmm. That that to me is the most shocking turn of events.
0: Yes. If you had absolutely. if you had
2: told twelve year old me that there would be <laughs> high caliber, expensive, well made Star Wars television.
1: Looking like a well, feature well, film. Well made TV. Any, show. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. Well have you well, seen it, Dave? Yes, and, I have.
0: Okay, because
2: we we haven't talked. I don't think it's I don't think it's arguable that there isn't money on that screen.
0: You're you're Mm -hmm. right.
1: It looks great. Yes, it looks fantastic. I I really dig the show. So I want to say up front, I don't I don't care about Boba Fett. I don't care about the lore of Boba Fett. It's uh nothing. None of that makes sense. But what I do care about is uh Tamura Morrison getting a chance to shine, and also Ming Na Wen like being in a big show again because she she also shined for quite a bit on Agents of Shield. Um. I like these actors. I want to see them do cool stuff. And uh, this is a show that goes hard and like, okay, how did Boba Fett survive uh, in the original trilogy? You know, like what did he do in that time? And there, there is a lot of like um, interstitial stuff. I don't really care about, but the stuff that is there of just like him being the new guy on Tatooine, like the big new warlord basically. And also him, uh, Trading um training with the uh what was it the Tuscans? Tuscan Raiders, um, the sand people of Tatooine. Um, the show's like ex, uh, expanding Star Wars lore in other ways that are really, really interesting, I think. And what is really good is like the action is pretty solid. Like they're in, you know, uh, the first, I think the first episode is directed by Robert Rodriguez. There's like good talent, like putting these things together. I think it's like good. Um, you know, like Saturday morning sci-fi. It is like a good thing to put on because there's a lot of like fun stuff happening. Um, I like a lot of these set pieces. Matt Berry is a goddamn droid. Just like a fun little helper droid. Like it, it is fun love Matt Barry. in the way. I love Matt Berry. Matt Berry can be in everything. Um, but it's like fun in a way that, you know, I, I just like seeing fun sci-fi things on TV. It's it's not like peak television. It's probably, I don't know, it'll probably win special effects Emmys or something, but it's not going to like win writing awards or anything or even acting awards but i think it's a lot of fun it's a good like entry in the star wars universe so if you if you're bored and you miss some star wars and you want to see matt barry as a droid and you want to see tamura morrison just be like a badass and i think he is fantastic ming na wen gets a lot of action time there's some great set pieces here it's a lot of fun so i think it's worth watching just for that that's the book of boba fett it's streaming right now on disney plus
0: Okay, huge what we've been watching, guys. But uh, I, I think uh, it justifies it. Sundance happened this week, basically. So let's move on. Get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly, a weekly. <laughs> weekly Plugs, the part of the show where we plug something else we're making. I want to plug this thing I've been doing on Twitter Spaces called Office Hours. You know, I thought about this, thinking about this, uh, thinking about my own personal Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, thinking about like uh, using Twitter spaces more often how I could do it. And uh, here's the thing that I hear more than anything else, guys, from people who listen to the podcast is, uh, hey, love the podcast. Uh, Most times when I listen to the podcast, I find myself screaming at you, (laughs) just screaming at you for your terrible opinions, uh, because I hate your opinions, specifically you, David Chen. So you have gotten my letters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and so i thought you know what why not give people a venue to uh not not scream at me that's that's not cool but um if folks want to talk to me about stuff uh i am covering it on uh twitter office hours so uh once every week or two i'll tweet out that hey I'm, I'm doing office hours and i'll do a twitter space you can tune in live listen participate if you'd like um and generally i give uh speaking priority to people who are my patrons over at patreon.com slash dave chen but uh, many uh, film cast listeners also show up. So, anyway, is save this can office hours. Yep. Does
2: this position you as their professor in some way? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, sure. I, I didn't want to put it that way, but. Professor of life, you know. Yeah, okay. the professor right. of life. Thank, thank you, Devendra. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Jeff? I uh, think you, uh, you, you know. embrace that, right? Fully, yes. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if the power dynamic quite works like that, but. <laughs> You, you mean me, a, a mid tier podcast host that has no uh, sort of influence over these people? I don't occupy
1: the same hallowed space as a professor in people's lives? Is that what you're saying? I think, I think it's more like uh, in the ancient Roman times where you'd go and stand up in the middle of the forum and people can throw fruit at you. Yeah, uh, no, no, it's no, kind no, of it, that. Yeah, yeah. That. That. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, no, yeah no, I think what you're saying is that it's more of a you're holding jester. Court. You're, a, yeah. you're a jester more than a professor. I think what. it's
0: more like I'm standing on a milk carton box yes, on exactly. the, the, the corner. Corner the corner of Times Square, the, yeah, of, the, yeah. yeah of, of Times Square, wearing saying, soiled rags, <laughs> and I'm saying, "Come talk to me. Come talk to me. You know, let's talk about Ozark." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> saying, saying people want to hear my Ozark thoughts, don't you, they?
2: You're the you're the guy in that meme saying, change my mind." <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> the guy. In, yeah. Hopefully not. That guy is terrible. Anyway, <laughs> uh,
1: come uh, check out my office hours, uh, Devinder Hardware. Your weekly plug. Sure. We had a jam-packed episode of the Engadget podcast this past week, so I just want to say, hey, check it out. We we did a whole piece on the James Webb Space Telescope, and we got Tarek Malik from Space.com. And uh, science journalist, Swapna Krishna, who also contributed to Engadget before, uh, they basically gave us the skinny on like, what's going on with James Webb, what it's up to, and what we expect to find with it. Um, I think it's really, really interesting. So if you've heard the news and seen stuff floating around and you haven't like read up on it, this is a good, compact uh, conversation to get up to speed on the James Webb telescope. And uh, we also talked about the insane, the wild Microsoft acquisition of uh, Activision Blizzard, which is just it is uh, Jeff, and I'm sure your yeah. brain is just like boiling with this thing. Yeah. but it is it is earth shattering, and uh, we talked with Jessica Condit from Engadget about that too. Uh, it's a big freaking deal. It's going to change like the gaming landscape for the next decade, like yeah. decades ahead. Like it, everything is different now. So, you know, my first conversation
2: point seven
0: billion.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. We could my just say first 69.
2: reaction when that yeah. sixty
0: nine billion yep. dollar acquisition was nice. announced was. I
1: bet Jeff Canata wishes he recorded DLC on Monday mornings.
2: Oh, yeah. No, that was a lot of people. That was a lot <laughs> of people. Was, that reaction. was a Tuesday
1: morning thing. Yeah. That was like right after Martin Luther King Day. It so was, it was like everybody was getting up. We're like, oh, it's going to be a quiet week, guys. Yeah. You know, you know, we had a three day weekend. Everything's chill. Let's just get through this week. Biggest news of like decades. Yeah. Uh, dropping all of a sudden. I. I like how you
2: guys are just so free to round up to 69000000000 billion. You're basically rounding up the value of rare, that Microsoft paid for rare when they (laughs) bought rare.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. And, you know, it's true what they say. A billionaire, a billionaire there. Pretty soon it's going to start to add up to some real money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Good call. Anyway, check out the Engadget podcast. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Hey, Valentine's Day is coming up.
2: What better way to say, I like you than with your own (laughs) personalized, bespoke limerick. That's right, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. I would venture to say the only place on Cameo, and maybe on the entire internet, to get you a personal limerick, certainly one from yours truly, for your true love this Valentine's Day. Uh, I, I I I have a track record that speaks for itself. Check out all the five star reviews. Check out all the people who have uh, really enjoyed the limericks that they've purchased from me. Uh, Cameo dot slash Jeff Canada. Even if you don't have someone to to give a limerick to, maybe you just give one to yourself. You know, you deserve it.
0: All right. Those are our weekly plugs. I want to mention a couple of weekly plugs for the podcast. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, you can always go to patreon.com slash film podcast, sign up to donate and get ad free episodes as well as exclusive After darks. Uh, use hashtag slash tag to recommend stuff for us to watch. Uh, we do check it out. It does inform our podcast. And also to mention, we never want you to contribute to the Patreon or donate to us. If it in any way causes you any financial hardship, uh, there's very easy ways to support the podcast without donating. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave a star rating and a review for us. It just takes a few seconds of your time. Or use Spotify's newest Rate the Podcast feature. Leave us a star rating, it would really help us out. Okay, let's get to our review of Station 11.
3: Where's your mom or dad?
4: I don't know. I can't leave you here. I'll walk you to the L. I I think this thing is really happening.
1: You can see it out there. Uh, can I have your
2: attention, please? We have shelter. We have food. This is the best thing that could have possibly happened.
0: We're the Traveling Symphony.
4: We travel for a reason. Let's try to make the world make sense for a minute. No one finds people from before.
0: That was from the trailer for Station 11 on HBO Max. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A post-apocalyptic saga spanning multiple timelines, telling the stories of survivors of a devastating flu as they attempt to rebuild and reimagine the world anew while holding on to the best of what's been lost. I'm going to say right up top, uh, there is not going to be a spoiler section for this show. We've already talked about it multiple times on what we've been watching. Um, We are making it the subject of our main review, so we consider it worthy of checking out. Uh, so if you're trying to decide whether you should check it out or not, the fact that we're talking about it is an indication that you should check it out. Um, so let's instead talk about our overall thoughts and then I'm going to just, uh, go through episode by episode and hopefully rather quickly, we can share any specific thoughts we have on those episodes, but, uh, I want to hear overall thoughts real quick. Uh, Devendra, you already shared yours on mm-hmm. the, on the podcast, but you know, why don't you give us, remind us of your overall impression then we'll go to Jeff. Cause I think yeah. uh, it's been a while since we've heard from Jeff on this.
1: I, I thought this was one of the best TV, uh, events series. I don't know. What do we call this? One of the best TV things I've seen in, in years, it just felt like pitch perfect television to me. Great writing, incredible performances. It like blew my mind on several occasions. Um, and it, it did feel like something that was perfectly timed for what's going on right now. I do feel like a lot of people are saying like i don't i don't want to watch a pandemic thing now. I totally understand that. Uh i am somebody who's like wondering like how the hell do we recover as a civilization from all this like right now like we you can't trust our neighbors People are doing like are refusing to do the bare minimum to stop spreading the disease we're dealing with now. Um, Kind of what's left. And weirdly, I found a lot of hopefulness and a lot of just like, I don't know, humanity to take from this show. And I just I love the characters, too. So it's not like full grim post-apocalyptic stuff. It's not it's not like grim dark. I appreciated the light that this show provided quite a lot. All right. Jeff Kanata, so curious
0: what you thought of Station 11, because we were considering reviewing this, I think, like, a couple weeks ago, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly, or last <laughs> week I don't even remember when it was, but uh, but you were a little bit behind, so you caught up very rapidly. You've watched, like, I assume most of the episodes in the last week or two. Yeah. What did you think overall of Station 11?
2: Well, Dave. <laughs> I guess you could say what I thought of Station 11 is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Excellent. This series examines the roles we're thrust in when we lose control. It takes more to survive than just staying alive. We also must nourish our souls.
0: Mm. Excellent. Love it. Excellent. Nicely done. The the post-apocalyptic
2: fiction, science fiction in particular, is a well-tread subgenre. Most of the post apocalyptic stuff you'll find, and even the best of it, really focuses on how do we survive? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: How, what's, what are the steps that we need to take? What are the, what's the mechanics of making it now? You're
1: going to build up a camp, you're going to get security, you know, you're going to be out people, others, you got to find food, you got to find, you
2: got to, all this stuff. This show, Station 11 is more concerned with what what does our soul need to survive? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Not just the pure necessity of food and shelter and safety, but what do we as human beings, you know, any animal is going to need certain things to survive, but we as human beings, we need more, this show posits. Mm -hmm. We need connection to one another. We need... Art, we need something that fulfills us, fulfills our souls, Mm -hmm. and that is what I think is so special about this show. I agree with davindra that it is, it is one of the. I mean, if it weren't for Midnight Mass, which I still still hold higher in higher regard Mm -hmm. than this show, but Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, those two are, are are two of I think the best television shows in the last decade, and here they are like boom, boom, right back to back with one another, and you know, mere months apart. Um, so we are, you know, we are truly in the golden age. Th- this show is, is extraordinary. The closest thing I can relate it to actually, and it's interesting because so much of the show is, is based on you know, people talking about a, a graphic novel. The closest thing that I can relate it to is Watchmen, the graphic mm-hmm. mo- novel, not the film, not the TV show, mm-hmm. but the graphic, the original Alan Moore graphic novel, which is works like a prism a prism, where every character's experience informs another character's experience. And every time you're looking at the story from one perspective, it reveals something about another perspective and all the perspectives are refracted upon one another. And this show also does the remarkable and very rare thing, which is I think it's better than its source material.
1: Mm, I've heard that quite a bit, yeah
2: I read the book I mean it's been years now uh so I don't have a uh moment to mo- I wasn't able to remember moment to moment, but there's some very big things that I remember uh that are different in the book in this show and I think are superior i it mm. does it does some things like making characters relate um like the devin character um that's right right his name's devin De- Devin. Devon. yeah excuse me which my favorite character in the whole show i mean just mm-hmm. an extraordinary performance you fall in love with him it's just amazing the way that they take that character in the in the book none of the stuff in the in the hotel room in the uh in his brother's um um uh, apartment happens mm-hmm. like none of that none of that formation that that way that every character is related to every character this sort of six degrees of separation of every character is it is not present in the book and it's so beautiful and brilliant and exquisite so well executed here um i actually learned a new word this week just coincidentally i learned a new word uh that i think is really what this show is about at its core um this is a Spanish word. It's called duende. Have you guys ever heard mm. of duende? Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It's defined as the mysterious power of art to deeply move a person. And it's, it's supposedly one of the most difficult words in Spanish to translate because it's sort of uh, about this kind of mystical, magical, ephemeral thing
1: Mm-hmm. That almost like the religious when, hold uh, art can have on. Us yes, sometimes. exactly.
2: Yeah. This sort of divine enrapture uh, that you can fall into when a piece of art takes hold, and I think that is what this show is about. It's about these people that are this woman that has to make this piece of art.
3: Mm-hmm. These
2: people that are drawn to it and it means something to them, and then it's, they. It's them, the
1: kids. It's the kids who suffer through the fall of civilization, basically. Right. It's the only thing they have to latch on to. Right. And they build a belief system around it. And yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then ultimately, it
2: is art. It is Shakespeare. It is performance. It is these this language that is pre-written that allows them to communicate something deep within themselves that they are unable to communicate, that galvanizes them, that... That gives them purpose. That mm-hmm. that makes life worth living in the after time. Um, so it speaks to so many things that I deeply care about as uh, as an artist, as a person who cares a lot about art, as a as a as a person who loves language and um, is terrified about the end of the civilization. Uh, I, you know, I I think this is it's an exquisite show. Um, and now I'm going to use, uh, that word, which again, like mm. duende, I'm going to use that a lot because I, I, I feel like duende is what I'm always searching for. I, and, and well, I feel like that
1: is why we have a podcast. Yes. Like that is, what we're talking about all the time is what watching movies and TV does to us, you know?
2: Perfectly said, Devendra, perfectly said. So, uh, I wish duende for everybody. I hope you mm-hmm. find it. And I think honestly, this show very much what is about it and was it for me? I was,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I was moved many, many times. It is, it's an exquisitely beautiful journey. Um, it, it is, it, it, it really has something to say. It is mm-hmm. uh, full of wonderful performances. It is exquisitely shot. I mean, it is a sumptuous, gorgeous show. I, 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 I can't find a flaw. It is, it yeah, is really yeah. near perfect.
1: I, I want to throw right. just a re- quick correction. It's Jeevan. Jeevan Chaudhary. Yeah, Jeevan. Jeevan. was good. Thank How you. I was playing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, incredible character. My favorite uh,
2: character in the whole thing. So good.
1: They, this show does start in like a weird way too, because it's like he he's not a doctor, right? But he's the only person who jumps up to help. Mm, yeah. um, and then like the weird thing is like, I guess I'm taking this little girl home, which. Yeah. I, I am surprised people aren't like really latching onto like how that could be problematic, but also man, guys, like when things, when things like when shit gets real, it is really hard to like plan how things go, you know? And I have noticed, like I've been in situations where I'm in a playground. I just see like a kid just hanging out yeah, like on their own. I'm like, I have to be like, are you, are you okay? And it's easier because I have a kid too. And it could be like, I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. Um, but those, those times where you kind of have to just like step up and be like, okay, like somebody has to do something here and you're kind of the only person. Uh, I feel like that's where we're ending on here. But Dave, uh, what do you think of this?
2: Uh, real quick, though. Interestingly, mm-hmm. you bring up that thing of him jumping up at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, in the book, he is studying to be a paramedic. Mm-hmm. So it's such an interesting okay. change in the.
0: I, I think it's a positive change that that's not in the yeah. show yeah yeah, yeah. a
2: hundred percent that's why it's like it's it's yeah. this rare he just, thing he where,
1: has to do something well and yeah.
2: also where he ends up at the end of the yes, show it's, the, the it's the so beautiful. Is, yeah
1: agreed, it's like 100%. it's like
2: watchmen like whichever end you you start looking at this thing from it resonates like this prism it's beautifully constructed
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know i don't want to fight with you guys <laughs> yeah i know i know i know exactly what you're gonna do dave so please um let me just say, I, we've
1: constructed flawlessly (laughs) why this is a perfect piece of television, but please, David Chen,
0: I, I agree in the main with what you guys have said. Mm -hmm. I think that there are emotional heights. This show took me to that. I have rarely been taken to, if ever by any television show, some sequences, some episodes that are just extraordinary. Episode nine made my brain melt. Mm -hmm. we'll, We'll get into that in a little bit, you know? Um, so there's many, many good things to like about it. And fundamentally, the relationship between Jeevan and Kirsten works. It's the mm-hmm. beating heart of the show. Uh, it is where the show begins and ends. It is a triumph.
1: Yeah, I was a blubbering the, mess. At me the, too. that, that I, I me like, too. I wept like many oh,
0: times man. uh,
1: couple last couple episodes.
0: I would submit to you, this show is 80% excellent, amazing, transcendent. And twenty percent okay, if not outright terrible. <laughs> um, and that twenty percent has to do completely with the Tyler storyline, which I think is a disaster. Mm. Um, I it, think it is it very is, loose.
1: It is very loosey goosey. It how they is deal with a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this and, is a, and, and a major
2: I, change from the book as well. They they change mm-hmm. Tyler dramatically, right? And season. and
0: I think I think that's my understanding is that Ty- the tyler character was much darker in the book like mm-hmm. he had a much yes. sadder storyline he like took why wi- like wives from the undersea like children wives and stuff like that. like yeah. it was all really fucked up and there was no kind of redemptive arc to him with his right. mom that happens in this show right? right um and what i feel like the show is doing is it's kind of those two ideas of Tyler are like at war with each other in the show. Yeah, is, is if
1: they didn't introduce a uh, child suicide bombers, yes, maybe, maybe that's the thing. hundred percent. Right? I, I yeah. think that if if it was just the Tyler we saw from like episode. Yeah, you know, three or four afterwards. S- stealing kids. If if he was just stealing kids, and then oh, we turn it. It turns out he's taking care. But it was, of but them, it was right? a big misunderstanding. Sure. He's, yeah, like, he's just like right. You know, but like yeah. using them as
0: child. You know, so that's what really bothered me. Everything mm-hmm. else, I agree with everything else you guys are saying. I I, I love the show, but just it's it's literally the Tyler sto- Tyler um, Tyler storyline. Also, like I felt like the young Tyler didn't really sell it for me. I know it's hard to be a mm-hmm. child actor, but like you know the stuff the motivation the journey that he's, the, the journey that he's going on like it didn't quite land for me unfortunately It, it so-
1: certainly to me i don't know dave if you've ever had to deal with uh, a young adolescent who is just always wearing headphones or like has their head in a game or something and you spend a lot of time just thinking like what is what's going on over there yeah like, no, what, it's, is, it's, what is that kid actually thinking it's yeah. definitely a
0: choice you know i think that the best example the comparison i can think of is i don't know if you guys have seen the david michaud movie animal kingdom mm-hmm. but there's a teenager in that movie who plays the whole thing as like
1: yeah a useless human being non
0: like yeah he, he's he is the protagonist of the film and yep. he's
1: almost completely nonverbal. and i, I, I remember I, how much i hated him
3: yes <laughs>
0: And I interviewed David Michaud and I was like, yo, yo like um, interesting choice to make him completely nonverbal. And yeah. he's like, he was like, you know, I, I saw a lot of like high school age actors for this role. And like many, like the vast majority of them are very like theatrical, you know, like they all, they, they make their emotions very big and it's very unlike most high school students, you know, mm-hmm. most high school students mm-hmm. are not super verbal. And so I, I think I understand that archetype, like that kind of, character mm-hmm. and i just, even even just on that level it didn't quite work for me um but let's so th- those are my thoughts like overall
1: i did like it i would I recommend it i just think but, i think some... the show tried to deal with what was going on with that with that thing like okay the the child um the initial bombing like whoa what a cut to black that ending of that episode was <laughs> yeah. but uh then they show up again towards the end and i think the thing is uh, tyler has lost control of them but we maybe needed a little more to thread that Yes. to thread what was going Agreed. on there. Agreed completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh,
0: so didn't hate it or anything like that. I thought it was very, very good. And again, the Jeeve and Kirsten storyline, incredible. Also incredible, incredible, by the way, that I, I don't think you guys, you guys have like alluded to, but I don't think you guys have like explicitly said, which is like, what's so powerful, and my, my bubble mate, Carter, pointed this out to me, is one of the things that's so powerful about this show is the work that is animating
3: mm-hmm.
0: all the action Right or not? Not all of the, but like much of the action. There's still, there's still some Shakespeare in here, but the art that is animating a lot of characters' decisions is this graphic novel comic, comic book, book. Station Eleven. But yeah. not only that, um, a comic book f- for which
1: only five copies exist. It's amazing. Right. It's it, it not... is the ultimate comic nerd, like exclusive thing. Right, uh, right. Yeah. And
0: it's just like this thing that this woman like made for herself explicitly mm-hmm. and like at the towards the end, she's like, I'm gonna give it to just a few people who I think are really special. It's yeah. not like an Alan Moore Watchmen style thing. It's not, you know, well, uh, the yeah, yeah. dark That's... Al, you know, the dark
1: knight or whatever, like um what the dark knight returns. Is that what it's called, right? Yeah. Um it's like just this it, it... thing. It is sort of like when you discover something that is made in another country, like the first time I heard of Battle Royale or something, or like even when I was into early anime, it was really hard to get things, right? It, there was a subculture, and that yes. subculture is very strong and very devoted and obsessive. And that is essentially it here. Like this is a self made subculture because this is literally the only thing these kids have had to like deal with emotionally what right. has happened around right. them. But, yeah. but but
0: the point is that like any work can be that work, right? It doesn't sure. have to be something well, but- that that's, is world that, famous right
2: that's the whole point right is is the mm-hmm. is the the juxtaposition between arthur and miranda you mm-hmm. know, arthur needs that adulation he needs that recognition he his he's trying desperately to have some sort of artistic integrity even though he's making the heist movie right he desperately <laughs> yeah. wants to be lear and to be appreciated as an artist mm-hmm. and miranda can just toil away in anonymity and create something beautiful and exquisite that means that literally saves the world, you know, like perfectly
1: her, her- cast too. The, those both those roles, uh, like Al Garcia Barnell, yeah, is a guy that I I love him. I love him in so many things, but some of his work, and I think when he's best is when his like ego is front and center, right, and he's a little tryhard, and that is essentially what that character is, and a you little know? flighty, a little flighty the center of attention, yeah. And Danielle Deadweiler just. Incredible! Yeah, she's like Kirk, I bought yeah, that she's, character. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But All right.
2: but it's if, it's also interesting, you know that that I love the fact that Jeevan constantly every time he's exposed to the Station Eleven comic book is like pretend so pretentious.
1: At, so, at one point he shouts at it. It's like this pretentious shit. It's, it's, it's just so great. <laughs> like when he's like he's literally fucking
2: bit by a wolf uh underneath the you know underneath the <laughs> blanket blanket, and he can't in that moment can't even bring himself to appreciate it. It's 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 wonderful because it like takes yeah. the piss out of this thing that's been elevated, uh, you know, through the entire show yeah. as well. Th-
1: this it's not some like secret code, you right. know, or something. It is it is a work of personal devotion, I think. And some people unlock that, and that does describe like yeah how I latch onto things as well. It's like why I've spent so long telling people to watch The Leftovers, which is a really depressing show, but then it gets into the gear to be something that's like really. I don't know, uh, fascinating and says so much about humanity. And this show kind of works on that level too. Yeah. All right. Uh, w- one last thing about, I want to mention before, I, I want to
0: get to the episodes and uh, we'll try to run them down in quick succession, but there is one other component that really stuck to me, right? Which is mm-hmm. in episode seven, they uh, Kirsten kind of thinks back to the time in the apartment. And, you know, uh, what, one of the other kind of things about the show that's kind of, not great but you know if you're into it it's fine is is like the show is pretty heavy-handed you know like Mm -hmm. you have characters who are like in hamlet and they're saying the things that they think and (laughs) on the one hand i'm like so blunt it's like that's pretty clunky but also they're doing such a good job that i'm fine with it you know Mm -hmm. um But it happens multiple times during the show that people are performing something, and it like reflects what their true feelings are. Right? How lucky is it
1: that the the handful (laughs) of people that got this comic uh, has had like a profound impact on the future? Exactly the same experience, right? And I I don't know if you could describe that as
2: clunky. I think that is that's the that's the like. I mean, you could say, well, how how is it that all these people that happen to know each other, like the six people that all knew each other, were all, but like that's the that's what this story is. It's this. It, y- you know what nesting doll this interconnected yeah, yeah. prism of you know like if we all knew if we all knew at every moment every person we've brushed up against where they were you know mm-hmm. we'd be probably shocked at how close they are and sure, how, sure, sure. how much they what they've done has impacted our lives in ways we would never know i love stories like that it's a ma- this sort of magical interconnectedness mm-hmm. of everything and how art is the life's blood of all that
1: you know what this reminds me of like the the way this can go bad is uh, uh the lady in the water <laughs> where the genius novelist has to I, I gotta make this thing guys that is going to save the world my work of art <laughs> will save the world and if you you know if that's what you're saying that's a little presumptuous it's a little like okay okay buddy whereas this is like this never had those aspirations right it just ended up being something that really influenced people and that's what's fascinating
0: i yeah i mean just for the record i I disagree with jeff and it's okay for jeff it's okay for us to have different opinions on this i know i I know i I think it's extremely clunky i think i think having characters say lines that are from art that mirrors their thoughts if you do it too much can be clunky now it'd be different if it was like if they were like reciting from like legally blonde then that would be like, oh, that's like interesting, you know, because it's like, it's such, so opposed to like what they're feeling. But it's like they're saying stuff that's like reflecting no, the exactly whole point, their train of thought, you know? The whole point so, is
2: the universality of art and how Shakespeare touched something that transcends time. And these sure, words, sure, sure. The, the poetry of this, has, have touched literally every generation of human beings that has come since him. You know, one of the things that I was struck by this is a little bit of a sidebar, but one of the things I was struck by in watching uh, Tragedy of Hamlet and, and Station Eleven sort of
0: Macbeth, back- Macbeth, Macbeth, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, sorry, excuse me, yes. Tragedy of Macbeth and and uh, Station Eleven sort of in tandem, back-to-back, what have you, is, you know, I, I went looking on, on Wikipedia and, and Google to find out... Does every language have a sort of undisputed greatest writer of all time in mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you yeah. know? And there are like the people have named them and 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 there are some, but it it is totally wild to me that this one human being, and of course, obviously there's yeah. lots of disputes about who actually wrote Shakespeare, right. but I think all yeah. of that's hogwash. Um, mm-hmm. this one human being is like no there's no dispute. There's uh, among people who study this, there's literally no dispute that this one guy is the best writer of English ever, ever. And it will, ne- will that will never change. That will never change. Like, that's a bizarre thing, right? Like, we
3: just it,
1: all it is agree weird. that yeah. one guy <laughs> is the best that there ever was. It, it, he's the best. He's the, he's the OG. Yeah, he's the best. He's the OG. Uh, I mean, there's some things in culture where I'm like, uh, I, I, I Guys, we have so much culture, right? And we have a lot of this stuff is everything that's been created since uh, we have been recording things. How are we going to keep track of it, right? Like, how long will classic Hollywood be classic Hollywood? How, how, are, how are we going to, what's going to be remembered in 100 years? It's really hard to tell. But I have a feeling Shakespeare, yes. in 100 he, years or he's something is going to be around. Be there. Yeah. He's still going to be around. It's, the it's
0: incredible. It's the incredible. Anyway, I, I was in the middle of making a point. This sorry, is just a, a digression. Right. Right. But the point I was making was that in episode seven, you know, Kirsten does this thing where, like, she f- forces them to do this play and there is this line. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting like a little emotional. Um, there's this line in the play. uh where uh, you know the characters are talking to each other and they're saying the things that they feel because that's how mm-hmm. plays work mm-hmm. in real life. Um, I've been in
2: plays <laughs> where I've said shit that I
0: actually I know, feel. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying it happens every time in this thing. And uh, it was either Frank or Jeevan says to the other, "This strange and awful time was the happiest of my life." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really reminded you know we have all lived through our own different version of the pandemic, e- even the three of us on this podcast, but. Uh you know m- me and my wife formed this bubble with our friend Carter and like we basically like saw each other and no one else for many many months you know and um it it just was a it it's been a really intense and strange experience um and there's been elements that have been you know uh, challenging about it but there's also been elements that have been truly beautiful about it mm-hmm. and I really felt like this show kind of captured that yeah um, for sure and particularly I- I've that, saying that whole to my whole wife headline. throughout
2: this experience too is is you know, as awful and hard and and demanding and stressful as this has been, we're going to look back on this and be and you know be like, we were able to be with our kids. At, you know, when they were three, four, five years old. We they were at home. We were at home. I mean, yes, it was forced,
1: <laughs> but like it was, it was kind of a nightmare most of the time. Yeah. But yeah. But we're gonna look There's back on it as, that, eh? as
2: some of the greatest times. I, I really believe that. Yeah. You know,
1: while well, you're planets away from your children in the future, like yeah, you know, after we're all taking breaks from them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel that, Jeff. Well, guys,
0: rather than go through every single episode, I, I guess I'm just curious. Let's do this instead. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any sort of episode? or moment highlights that stick out to you. For me, the one that, again, just completely exploded my brain out the back of my head was (laughs) episode nine, entitled Dr. Chowdhury. Yeah. um, Yeah. Where he's, I I guess, kidnapped by this group of uh, pregnant women and is like, I'm not a doctor. And then like, becomes a doctor and Mm -hmm. there's two things about that episode that really stick out to me right one is the very immediate idea of if there was a extremely deadly uh pandemic that violently killed 99 of people um most of the actual doctors would be dead because they would be in the first wave and the only ones that survive would be those that were disgraced in some way and and or out of commission that, that weren't in hospitals at the time um, which I thought was just an interesting and chilling fact. But the second thing that's much more uh, resonant is this idea that you you can become a different thing depending on the circumstances you're put mm-hmm. in. Yeah. People will rise to the challenge differently. Yeah. People's like deep Necessity. components of you that you never knew even existed will spring to life. Um, depending on the circumstance and that, and that one experience can shape the entire rest of the course of your life.
1: You mm-hmm. know, we contain and, multitudes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I just thought, wow, what like, you know, and this is one of those things where like, it was worth the journey just to watch that episode, Devendra, you know, like just mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. episode nine and watch that. It, it's like, it doesn't matter if they stick the landing, which I think they overall did. Uh, episode nine was just like an incredible piece of yeah. work.
1: In also just so. some heartbreaking stuff there too, because I'm like the, the stories that really hit me hard in my gut are like stories of loss and misconnections too. And just the thing of like, man, it it's, it, he wasn't necessarily kidnapped, right? Because somebody saved him. He was collapsed on the street and he was rehabilitated and he was there for a while and he wasn't forced to be there. Um, But poor, poor Kirsten like had no clue what was happening. Right. He goes back and she's gone. And just like the idea of that poor kid, um, you know, Trying to survive on her own—it's all those things that kind of get to me a little bit—and bit. and all because
2: yeah. he casually tossed the comic, yep aside and felt yep. guilty about yes. it. You know, <laughs> yes. Ugh.
1: apparently, it's a, like it's the refreshing. wolf attack was inspired by the Revenant. I heard, um, but it yeah, it's very, yeah, it very Revenant esh. Uh, but also, like their even their relationship too. Like th- those two went through so much, but by the time they're in the cabin, it is it's very much like a married couple thing too of like, okay, Kirsten's just like sick of his shit. Cause she's out there throwing knives right into bullseyes. You know, like she, <laughs> she is like hunting, she is doing everything. Um, It is funny. Like their relationship isn't like perfectly rosy, you know, it, it is kind of Rocky there. They were kind of thrust together, but G, G even does his thing to do his best to take care of her. And to me, that also says so much about like parenthood as well. Right. Because like, mm-hmm. even if you're planning to get into this, like, it's hard. The, uh, the what's the statement like whatever happens to you I'm responsible.
0: Right? Mm-hmm.
1: And that is something I live with every day. Every parent lives with it. And I go when I go driving with my daughter, you know, I I just bought a new car to make sure we could be as safe as possible when we're out on the road because things are just insane. And like that level of anxiety on top of like everything else that's happening is um is another thing. Like there there's going to be <laughs> a lot of like uh, parents still dealing with the after effects of the pandemic, you know, for the next few decades. Uh, I feel like Jeff and I, like we, we will be among them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's already hard to be a parent, but in a really stressful anxiety inducing situation, like what they're dealing with, it's even harder. And the fact that, you know, Jeevan steps up as much as he can. I found that really, really moving too. Well, like, yeah. Yeah.
2: It's the same kind of thing with, um uh, you know, if you had, grandparents that lived through world war ii Mm
3: -hmm.
2: like they always were sort of you know they preserved food in a way that most humans don't they you know they like there's just a few years where they lived through world war ii but it stayed with them forever and it's
3: how the
0: depression yeah yeah Yeah. i mean there were moments from the show that were a little bit too close to home episode one obviously um but there's a scene where they go to the supermarket mm-hmm. yeah. and they just load up on stuff and that is literally what my wife and i did oh absolutely in, you know march april time period of 2020 yep. and when this the, thing was the, kicking off yeah the sure. uh
1: the person at the register was asking me i was like so are you really preparing for this thing and i looked them right in the eyes and i said you have to prepare for what's happening and that was because not everybody's reading the news not everybody's yeah. seeing like what was coming out of uh Actual scientific literature and like following everything happening on Twitter too. And we had no we had no idea how bad it was going to get back then. Yep. you know. So yeah. Yep. So so yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, I do I do think that the amount of money was like a little unrealistic because um, uh, we loaded up like two carts, my wife and I, and it was like you know I don't know five hundred dollars or something. If you go to Whole they, Foods, I don't know. They loaded know. up like four carts in the show, and it's like ten thousand dollars. I'm like I
1: don't know. I don't know. If, it was, was it was more than four carts. It was like a it's like a train of carts. Felt like more than it was four, like five, but it's like ten thousand dollars. Really, ten thousand dollars? I don't know. Anyway. And uh, the, the symbolism of that is like, <laughs> fuck it, this this doesn't matter anymore. What credit card? I'm right, gonna pay yeah. that right, off. Right, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like you know, this is like me being annoyed that when they
0: bring like a million dollars in a suitcase, that's not what a million dollars would look like. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jeff Kanata, any any sort of highlights from the show that that kind of stick out to you as we're as we're wrapping up.
2: Uh, So many, I mean, I, we haven't spoken about the Clark character yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, David Wilmot, who I think is phenomenal in the show as well. I think one of my favorite episodes is the episode where we see the Genesis of the airport and how Mm -hmm, that situation comes together. Um, I love that. I love that. Like him deciding we're, we're a community now. Like this is it. We live here now, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) that whole meme of like, well, I live here now. <laughs> like that's literally what happens is we live here now, and this sort of I felt weird... like
1: that in airports quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh And well, that, what an th-
0: interesting character too, because he's he's kind of like really unlikable and has a big chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, obviously helped people through this very challenging situation and, mm-hmm. and yeah. has skills he, of his own you know yeah
2: he's um, he's this beautiful flawed character like like yeah. everybody else in the show and i related to him quite a lot i mean he's this guy that like watches his his friends achieve the dream he wanted you know and tries to you know he's yeah. is not although at, i'm
1: muttering like that, they're not that great you know? yeah, yeah. No, yeah right
2: <laughs> and and sees their flaws you know mm-hmm. and, and sees the flaws in himself and uh, understands why he's not where they are, but also, you know, it has all these conf, conf, contradictions within him. I, I just thought mm-hmm. that character was lovely. I thought his performance was lovely. I like I think what how you're they- trying to
0: say, Jeff, is that the film cast is your private Severn City Airport. Is that what you're trying to say? I start? am trapped
2: here. <laughs> we have a
0: little
1: community, you know.
2: Am, but it turned out to be all right, you know. It's there like, is no know,
1: escape. I, I
2: have, you know, most of my basic needs are met.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and you can um, write it through the apocalypse. You yeah. Know, like, that's. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I will say the things that really blew my mind around the show, are pretty much everything around Miranda. Because she is just such a fascinating character. Like from from the uh, from the episode that really centers on her, which I believe is the third one, Hurricane, where she goes through that job interview and she's just she's not answering the stuff, you know, like the way uh, a normal human would. Like there's something different about her and her her love of logistics, you know, and the way of <laughs> yeah. everything goes right. It's a uh, it's kind of dorky, but it's also like yeah, it kind of fits that character. But what she really loves is making this comic book. Um, I love that entire first episode because she has that moment, you know, where <laughs> she, she has to give her presentation as the world is falling apart. And <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to be like, I'm reviewing a laptop. <laughs> thousands of people are dying every day, <laughs> nearly a yeah. million in America. And, uh, you know, it's a like de- devastation that we haven't seen in the past hundred years, uh, just happening worldwide right now. And we're just doing, we're just trying to pretend it's not happening um so that really hit me on um, like a very deep level but also I loved, in the finale I loved her
2: boss mm-hmm. i loved her boss too mm-hmm. that, yeah like he very small part very minor character Good guy. We mostly hear him yeah. over the phone you know but just i just loved his like <laughs> genuinely cared for her you know I yeah just, so good I, I
1: love that he had this whole plan for her at the end it's like yeah yeah th- this guy really is into logistics okay like he, <laughs> yeah. he had this whole escape route for her mm-hmm. and everything i'm yeah. like yeah. she'd be on a boat uh love that bit too like it's it, fantastic but what really hit me was the stuff in the finale where it's like without what she did of just like the phone call to tell that pilot like yep. just just keep everybody in like that that's the least you could do right now to kind of keep the people in the airport safe so much of what we're watching wouldn't wouldn't have even happened or at least the yeah. entire airport thing wouldn't have happened without that it's those little connections and the little ways people help each other even if they're complete strangers that i think are really really effective um and i think i'm thinking of like the crazy trip i took to get to georgia where like so many things went wrong but we had along the way just like one flight attendant like took pity on us and like helped us book into the airplane faster than everybody else you know we right at the end there are little bits of humanity throughout this madness that i found profoundly moving and that is essentially what happens in this show right like everybody there's a line of like you know kirsten would find somebody but along the way like at some point there's a line i should have written this down but like you know, we make these connections and everybody finds somebody at some point to help them out a little. Uh, yeah. that was truly moving to me. And I've seen that a lot in reality, even though so much is wrong right now.
2: Yeah. Beautifully said. Uh, that, that's why I related to like Watchmen, the, the, the graphic mm-hmm. novel it, and, and talk about it as like this prism because everything reflects on everything else. Everything mm-hmm. that one person does is both informed by and informs the other characters, you know, and you get that right up into the end where it sort of reflects back and like none Mm -hmm. of the airport would have happened if it wasn't for Miranda and all of these unseen forces that are intimate, but also mysterious, you know, these intimate connections that characters have with one another that Clark and Miranda have, and she saves his life and he'll never know it. It's, it's, it's like that throughout, you know, I, there's, so many beautiful reflective things of where that that knife comes from and how that knife is used and you know it's used to stab the prophet and it was the you know the knife that caused her to leave the house in the first place like all of it you know, there's that wonderful moment when when they you know they're performing the station 11 play that she wrote and uh he's actually stabbed and he's laying on the ground with that mm-hmm. red ribbon that's supposed mm-hmm. to look like fake blood in his pool of real blood. And, you know, if they had just not performed the play, then they maybe that wouldn't have happened, but then later they stay longer to perform the play and the redemption happens. Like Dave, you say all that is clunky. I say all of that is beautiful reflections upon reflections upon reflections. Yes. These things are, the play of Shakespeare that they were doing is the life that they're leading, and it's all mirrored. But I think it's that's the whole structure of this piece; like everything mm-hmm. mirrors everything, and that's what I, I just found it so beautifully structured in that way.
1: I, I think a lesser mm-hmm. show would have made it even clunkier, right? Like there, there's a lot of conveniences or a lot of like contrivances, but it's so well told and well acted. That I'm like, yeah, sure, I I, I buy this, and also occasionally we all experience something a little bit like that like oh man if i had left for this thing you know a little earlier my life would be completely different right now so yeah i can buy that i will say a thing that always gets me
0: in movies and tv shows and whatever uh is when somebody's trying to test someone's knowledge Mm -hmm. and the person is able to answer them like for unrelated reasons so like Slumdog Millionaire being, you know, the best picture winning example of this. But in this in this uh, uh, show, there's that scene when uh, Clark is like uh, he he he's testing the actors to make sure they're actually actors. Right. And so he's quoting Hamlet at them. He quotes Hamlet at Kirsten. He quotes Hamlet at um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And they all know what Hamlet is. And then they're like, OK, fine. Do a scene for me. And then they both know the scene because they know the book by heart. You know, I. Well, they know. I I am a sucker for that stuff. Yeah, I'm
2: a sucker. Oh, oh, okay. I was say she chose the scene from Station Eleven because she knew he also memorized
0: Station Eleven. No, yeah, I, I I'm yeah. saying I love that guy. Oh, okay.
1: Yes, right. yes. It was an unspoken um, agreement to do that beautiful. Just beautiful stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. It's it really, really well done. Now, the part where he used his PS Vita to blow up the tower, you know, maybe not as huge of a fan <laughs> of, but yes, that, that part with the acting in the in the station level was pretty cool. Um All right, folks.
1: Uh, any anything else you want to highlight? I know you know There's so uh, many great like little performances we haven't even mentioned. Yeah. Like David Cross in this is fantastic. Yeah. Enrico Colantani, who I love being a weirdo and everything, just yeah. pops up it's to be a, a little weirdo. weirdo. Like great. Just put, put him in a bike
2: helmet and he's he's <laughs> creepy as shit. You know,
1: uh, pick your accent, Enrico. Pick whatever accent you want for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> What, yeah. what, what what did you make of that? Like, was it
0: was he? He was like faking earlier. Was my interpretation? I, right? I he think was, he was. He was, kind was trying of to be like it. a kind of foreign slash cosmopolitan mm-hmm. guy of some kind. I guess mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, he, he's but, yeah.
1: the alien from Galaxy Quest. Just come back to, to <laughs> see what's going on with humanity. I, I, I will say that this show had the ability to
0: surprisingly make me care about characters that I didn't think I would give a shit about, and then. Mm-hmm. But also vice versa, I would argue, right? Mm -hmm. So there is the character of, I think, um, what's her name? Um... She's the uh, she's the one that's kind of like her little sister, uh, Kirsten's little yeah, sister. Yeah. She, she meets her with Alex. baby, Alex. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that character. They, I don't think they the show figured out what they want to do with that character. In
3: mm-hmm. my opinion,
0: like you know, you could argue that every single scene she's in, she's doing something different. She's staying, she's going, and that's the point of the character. But I I don't think it works from a narrative perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she was a character that's like, oh, like this is setting the show is setting this up to be like one of the core relationships of the show. And at the end of the day, it didn't quite deliver. Mm-hmm. But for, for, yeah. Yeah. But a character that totally did deliver that I just didn't even see coming was Frank. You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. he he he's a guy who I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a side character that we never find out that much about. Yeah. And like by Frank's the end, cute. I'm like, this is one of the characters I'm most invested in. Well, what and, was the and, song and, they and just and start it, singing? That's, oh man. They they start rapping that song. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah.
2: It's Wu Tang, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah! Incredible, so like, right. All well done in one
2: shot. Incredibly mm-hmm. done. Yeah. So cool, and and the fact that that uh, Jevin like absorbs his siblings, mm-hmm.
0: he becomes mm-hmm. this
2: mm-hmm. amalgamation yeah. of of his siblings. It's, yeah, it's. I mean, it's amazing. Like he, you know, he he gets his his brothers. Uh, limp and his sister's uh, doctrinest, and it's yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of it. Like I said, it's it fucking layers and layers and layers of reflection and reflection and reflection. It's it's an extraordinary thing. This this show, it's extraordinary.
1: Yeah. The, I, I was going to say this thing about Alex. Like, it is an interesting look at the younger generation, right? And it's also what we're going to be dealing with right now. Like when my daughter, like Jeff, like when our kids are, you know, much older their reality when we can start talking about them like we'll have to talk about the before times yeah you know the times before we may have to have like random lockdowns all of a sudden or seasons where everybody has to be masked up uh i don't know or the like annual vaccines we'll all be taking for who knows how long um or when we used the, to have water yeah <laughs> All, the, when all we those need to,
0: when we, we didn't need to fight in the water wars in the Thunderdome. Yeah, I mean that—that's um, to come.
1: That's decades yeah. from now. But you know, it, <laughs> or, it is or, a fundamentally or, or different we'll talk, world. we we'll talk
2: wistfully about democracy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a cool idea at one time. It worked out <laughs> yeah. pretty well. Anyway, sorry, yeah. you know, Divindra, I, go I, ahead. Finish, 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 finish. I, I'm basically saying like the future generation—they're going to have a very different interpretation of what's happening. And Alex was that person being like, okay. They're in this traveling, you know, actor troupe and it's been her family and supported her, but she wants to see the rest of the world. And that is a perfectly natural thing for, you know, a child to want to do. They're supposed to go out and see more of the world. And I found that kind of moving too, because that's, you know, essentially, yeah, she, Kirsten raised her from an infant and she has to let her go out into the world. And that is how humanity survives. We can't stay in our enclaves. You know, we got to go out there and see what else is happening. All right, folks. Uh, I do want to call out, by the way, people in the chat, thank you so much, are
0: saying that thank the you. song was uh, Excursions by Tribe Called Quest. So there we that. go. Tribe
1: Called Quest. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: thank you for that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's pretty impressive that Daniel Somerville made a series. Uh, Patrick Somerville. Good. Patrick Somerville. That's what I meant
1: to say. Patrick yep. Somerville. I mean, li- listen, if, if you guys like this, go back and watch the show that... I'm pretty sure nobody has seen, and that is Maniac <laughs> on Netflix. This The entire show is directed by Carrie Fukunaga. It is weird science fiction starring Emma Hill and jo- uh, Amos Stone and Jonah Hill. Uh, Justin Theroux's in there. It is weird, wild stuff. Um, I think that's worth a shot, too. It's not at the level of this, but I do appreciate the weirdness of it.
0: All right, folks. Uh, well, I hope you have a chance to check out Station Eleven. Jeff, I'm really glad you you loved it so much because we we kind of J- Davinder and I kind of forced Jeff to like marathon this thing in a short period of time. Good, but I'm good.
1: like oh, we had a hunch. We had a hunch you would be fan. So, this is one of those things where like, yeah, Jeff will thank us. Well, US. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: wanna I want to uh I, I forgot to mention this earlier. I, I wanna just really quickly uh comment on what a surreal experience it was finishing oh, the show with actual COVID.
1: Yes. <laughs> Jeez, oh, you yeah. know, I'm
2: I'm sitting alone. Uh, I was watching several episodes when I was still quarantining from my family, and I was sitting alone in my little you know movie theater room, uh, away from my family, unable to talk to them. Watching the end of the world from a pandemic, mm-hmm. literally sick with the pandemic virus, <laughs> it was very surreal for me.
1: Very surreal. It's uh like there. There's that scene um, where Jeevan just goes into a house. Right, like as he's scavenging, yeah. it's just like remnants of a family, you know, like yeah. their phones still charged. Uh, I guess the father is dead that on the couch, like Casio it's just,
2: keyboard that plays his kid's voice. Yeah, oh, heartbreaking, God. dude. Yeah, Ugh.
1: remnants of civilization. Like I, I, who knows, like how long we'll survive? And this well, show the, kind the, of the detail leans on was that. like, yeah, his mm-hmm. like he
0: died, you know, mm-hmm. much later than his kid. You know that mm-hmm. I, that concept and being able to detect
1: <sighs> that, yeah, Man, brutal. really... Anyway, sorry, Divergent. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No, it's yeah. fine. But uh, I just want to say, like that that piece is haunting. I think the main takeaway for me from the show is like, guys, maybe I'm the only one that has this fear, but it turns out like human civilization has had a couple starts and stops. You yeah. know, like we we've had high points we've had low points uh we've lost a little technology along the way like uh i think it was, that doesn't uh, was it doesn't make me Con- feel better david <laughs> but it has survived okay yeah. i do wonder i do wonder like i i hope our stage of civilization will go on for a while but if in several hundred years you know something changes what will live on it does make me think about that quite a bit so you know it's one of those things like it. I, I don't know. Nothing about you. will last I, forever. Yeah. Devinder,
0: I feel like we're reading different history books because from what I am reading, it's an uninterrupted march of progress that's happening. Throughout yeah, human history, yeah. That, that's so. exactly what happened. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. If you are subscribed to our Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast, we'll be talking about Search Party season five in the after arc this week. Make sure you stay tuned for that. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from Varsity Blue. Check out his current project, The Midnight. Uh, check out Noah Ross's music. Check out, uh, he's the one who did our weekly bumpers. Uh, sorry, I'm, my, my brain is just completely dis- disintegrating right now. Sorry. Check out Noah Ross's music. He's the one who does our weekly plugs music. Kyle Corwith does our usual spoiler bumpers. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang next week on the podcast we're going to be talking about a hero new film by oscar farhadi that's streaming right now on prime video check it out it's going to be our review on the filmcaster next week thank you so much for listening we'll see you later
4: Go to Shopify.com/slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
3: Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So
2: let's talk about you. About making your life easier. About extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future.